Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome, Auburn, into another week of Sports Call live on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. My name is Ryan Lavoy, the host of this show. Today I've got Tom Peavy with me as we start the last week before college football gets going. By the time we have our next Monday show, we will have had college football in 2023 in the books. Week zero coming up this weekend. We are excited about that. For the show today, we have a lot planned for you. We finish our 14 SEC team previews in 14 shows with none other than the Auburn Tigers today uh, as we will preview Auburn in the 4 o'clock hour. And so that will culminate all of our various uh, previews for all the SEC teams. And right after we do that, we will hop into the previews of the Power 5 conferences starting with the Big 12 today. So uh, we're going to go ahead and, and get that underway uh, this afternoon. And so that means we're very close to football again with Week Zero coming up this weekend. So uh, previewing the Big 12 a little bit later today. We'll have some thoughts on Auburn's second fall scrimmage as Auburn's second scrimmage was inside Durham Hare Stadium on Saturday. So we will talk about what we heard from that. And, uh, again, a football-heavy show here on this Monday afternoon as we inch closer to the season. Of course, again, getting to the point where we are five days away from Week Zero, 12 days away uh, from the first Auburn game of the year. Birthdays and Sports Nightly TV Guide, as always, uh, as uh, we will always have those for you. And then also a Best and Worst of the Weekend coming up a little bit later. And, of course, your phone calls on the Auburn Bank phone line. Ryan Lloyd, Tom Peavy with you here on this Monday afternoon. Tom, I hope you hey. had a great weekend. Hope you are well today. I am doing well, uh, other than just having a sneezing fit like immediately as we went on the air. So I'm hoping I got all of those out of me. Uh, I don't know if I'm allergic to the studio or what, but uh, it was a uh, it was a good weekend and uh, a lot of good stuff going on in in the world of sports. Uh, I say mostly good. Uh, Auburn missed out on another big time recruit, uh, another a swing and a miss there. Uh, by a guy that uh, a lot of people had crystal balled to Auburn. And so it's unfortunate that you miss on that. But uh, the uh, Braves continue with a hot streak. Uh, they did lose yesterday, but they were playing some incredible baseball throughout the weekend. Uh, just, yeah, just a lot of other stuff going on as, as we're counting down the days until it's time for college football. Of course, you're referring to five-star defensive lineman Kamarian Franklin, who committed to Ole Miss over Auburn, told you on the show Friday that things had trended in a more Ole Miss direction uh, as of late and that earlier in the week Auburn had an 80-85% chance of landing him, but by the time we did the show on Friday, it had gone down to about a 50-40 type of dynamic. And, and I mean, at that point, it's getting pretty close to 50-50 between Auburn and Ole Miss. The momentum had swung towards Ole Miss, and he opts to – 
uh, commit to Ole Miss. Uh, so Auburn does miss out on a, a high four-star borderline five-star player and Kamari and Franklin. Uh, of course, a couple other Auburn targets have commitment dates in the next couple of weeks, including DeAndre Carter's we talked about on Friday. That's a big one that Auburn will be looking forward to trying to land uh, on the offensive line. Uh, Auburn needing a big-time offensive lineman in that 2024 class. So there will be more, obviously, big uh, recruits to talk about throughout the fall. Let's get into what we heard, though, from the first – or not the first, the second fall scrimmage, and that was on Saturday – uh, Auburn, again, scrimmaging inside of Jordan-Hare Stadium. Another opportunity, first opportunity for Peyton Thorne as the starter, uh, starting quarterback. No competition any longer for that position. Uh, Robbie Ashford, the number two guy, Holden Gurner, the number three guy. Uh, heard several things uh, from Coach Hugh Freeze on Saturday, was in attendance for that press conference. And uh, Hugh Freeze was talking a lot about um, obviously, both sides of the ball. What stood out to me, though, we'll start with this, is we've been talking more and more the last couple of weeks about wide receivers, and he had a lot of great things to say about one Shane Hooks, who had a six-reception day, including a touchdown time that I'm sure that you probably saw on social media. The one-handed uh, catch. The one-handed catch in the back of the end zone. Uh, and so Shane Hooks seems like somebody that, at least right now, is is standing out and making some of those highlight plays that he made a couple times at Jackson State. Yeah, uh, and, and those are the type of things that Auburn's going to have to have, uh, especially with as many newcomers as you have coming in from the transfer portal. You, you need somebody that can step up and, and, and really be that guy. Um, Fairweather is another I heard a lot about. They've, they've talked about his big play capability. Uh, Rivaldo Fairweather. Yes. Um you know, I've I've heard a lot about him. You know, with the quarterbacks, it's kind of a – it seems like a mixed bag. I mean, you hear a lot of really good things about Peyton Thorne, but then you hear about things that he needs to improve on. You hear great things about Robbie Ashford, but you hear a lot that he needs to improve on. So, um, it's uh, – the, the coaching staff, I think, you know, especially Hugh Freeze, has been pretty good at keeping a tight lip on exactly what all is going on, and that's – Maybe a good thing. Uh, I mean, you're you're trying to get as much information as you can, but they're they're just not releasing a whole lot of information, which is typical. Uh, you know, you want to keep as much as you can under wraps. But uh, that's the thing. I mean, from these scrimmages, you hear some of the good, you hear some of the bad, uh, and I guess that's to be expected. But that, you know, it's good that some of the newcomers are really stepping up and and showing that they can be a big part of the program. Uh, there were some injuries that uh, yep. continue to to bite some players, uh, including on that defensive end, uh, Keldrick Falk and Jalen McLeod, who did not participate in the scrimmage on Saturday. Uh, again, no references to any of these guys uh, in terms of long-term significance. Still believe that these guys will be available here in a couple of weeks, or within the next couple of weeks. I mean, it could be a matter of days, but uh, worst case in a couple of weeks uh, in time for the season. Um, Hugh Freeze was definitely talking more about uh, the ability of Steven Sings to rush the passer. He, Sings and McLeod seem to be the best options there, along with maybe some Keldrick Falk in terms of what Auburn's been trying to do uh, pass rushing-wise. And then, again, some of the wide receivers that have been banged up. Uh, Camden Brown was able to come back and scrimmage uh, he made a, a touchdown play 
in the scrimmage. Uh, there was um, a couple more injuries, though, with Coy Moore. Malcolm Johnson Jr. continued to be limited. Right. Uh, there was, I, I say, I mean, I can't compare it to all years. I feel like there's as much as info as usual uh, coming from from fall practice than there usually is because he even he freeze even gave us the numbers for all the quarterbacks which I'm about to uh, relay uh, so I, I feel like it has been on par if not a little below par, or, or I guess better than par uh, but so he gave the quarterback passing numbers from the scrimmage uh, for those that are curious or who who have not heard Peyton Thorne was 12 of 17 for two touchdowns and an interception uh, Robbie Ashford, 8 of 15 for two touchdowns, and Holden Gurner, 7 of 11. Uh, no touchdowns, no interceptions there. He was not able to provide yardages, as they were best guessing in a little bit. Uh, but again, 12 of 17 for Thorne, two TDs and a pick. 8 of 15 for Ashford, two TDs. 7 of 11 for Holden Gurner, no TDs, no picks. Yeah. Uh, my my understanding is that the one pick that uh, Peyton Thorne threw was a tipped pass. I, I read that somewhere, so – you know, they're they're typical scrimmage numbers. Uh, it's you can take away from it what you want to, but I mean, ultimately, you're not really going to know until they suit up in in, in real life play against uh, against other teams. But uh, you know, it it feels it feels positive. Uh, you, you don't hear a lot of negativity right now. It, it it feels mostly positive. Obviously, that first practice there was a little bit of negativity that uh. Uh, I, I should say that first scrimmage, there was, um, I guess, a little bit of negativity towards the quarterbacks, but you know, I, I don't know. It's it's really it's it's hard to kind of for me to get a feel on it until I just see it firsthand. Uh, you know, I'm I, I'm gathering what I can from the the very little bit of video that is available out there with it. You know, that some of the folks get the the catch that was made, the touchdown catch was amazing. So you try to catch a little bit of what you can in the videos and just what people are talking about. But, I mean, ultimately, you're just really not going to know until you see a full game on the field. Well, then let's go over a couple of the negatives that have been stated uh, in the first couple of weeks. There was an issue t- uh, in the very first scrimmage that Freeze did not like the wide receiver play. He had mentioned that they had had a good week of practice and they right. did not perform well, were not uh, making the right decisions on the option routes, that sort of thing. He kind of was not pleased overall uh, with the effort level of that group too yep. in the in the first first game or in the first scrimmage. He was not pleased with the tackling of the secondary, secondary yeah. um, and in general felt that you know there was a lot of gashing runs. Is that because we run the ball good? Is that because we don't tackle well? You know, maybe both. Who knows? He he mentioned that again in the second scrimmage. In the second scrimmage, he thought. Okay, on the positive side of things, he thought the quarterbacks looked better, more confident, that sort of thing. He did mention again in a generality towards the team that he felt like it lacked a little bit of flair, that he felt that it lacked an edge and that he's pretty disappointed in that. Uh, he, he talked a little bit about how at Liberty he had kind of let other coaches kind of be the guy to kind of call people out, and he called it call people up. Um, but that he's doing that more at Auburn, that he's kind of being the one to kind of tear into some more people and that sort of thing here at Auburn. It feels like that's necessary. He liked the tackling better from the secondary, but again, he mentioned the fact that, hey, we run the, ran the ball well. Is that because we run the ball well, or is that because we don't defend the run well, or, or right. both? And 
And again, those are the type of questions that even he's asked. I mean, he was asking out loud. Sure. You know, and those are the questions we're going to ask until we see it on the field. Yep. Um, and, and so, again, doesn't do, didn't love the effort, which is again is a kind of a interesting one to hear. Um, and then definitely moving some things around on the offensive line too. Um, so I think that again the the stories are probably going to be the same. I don't think that these are going to be unforeseen issues. We've talked about them all summer. Are they going to stop the run successfully? Are they going to have enough of a pass rush? Is the offensive line going to gel? Will a couple wide receivers separate themselves? I mean, these were the issues that we contemplated all summer long and or will continue to comp- uh, contemplate until we see at least the Cal game, but really the Texas A&M and the Georgia, Georgia game uh, this year. So I think those were the, I guess, maybe low lights, so to speak, of sure. things that he's still – Wondering about, trying to work on, trying to figure out, that sort of thing. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, and that's where I guess where the the confusion, it's not really confusion. It's because it is what it is. It's a practice. They're closed practices for the most part. Obviously, you get a little bit more with scrimmages and things like that. But he's had positive things to say. He's had negative things to say. And so, it you just don't know. Um and I mean, there's we all know that there's question marks uh, at a lot of different areas on the field. Uh, I think if there's the one concern I would have is he was talking the energy level because I uh, has it now been the both scrimmages he yes. talked about the energy level. So that's concerning when when you hear a negative comment and it's in both scrimmages. You know, if it was both scrimmages, it's like our secondary just can't tackle right now. You heard that in the first one. I didn't hear it as much with this one. Uh, quarterback play in the first scrimmage, I thought I had my mind made up, and now I don't know what we're going to do. Well, you didn't have that in this right. one. It's like pretty solidified with what we got. Uh, you know, run game is great or our defense is not good. Okay. Yeah. We'll just have to wait. We'll just, yeah, yeah, you, you just don't know. But I am concerned if, if, if the energy – was down in back to back of those I, that makes me wonder um that that goes into my thoughts on the strength and conditioning you, you know where where is this program at and where is this team at in the strength and conditioning side of things uh, being outside in this heat i mean it, it has been just absolutely sweltering heat over the last so, couple of weeks and it's not going away anytime nope. soon in fact it's about to get even hotter yep so i'm that that concerns me is is you know, are they in the condition that they need to be in? That that's again that's just got to be a concern. But again, you don't know. I mean, we're not there watching the entire thing. We don't know exactly what all's going on in that facility. You know, it, it's it's a concern when he mentions it two weeks in a row. But yeah, you know, how bad is it really? That's that's what you just don't know. And again, the, the I, I'll just say the sucky thing is, I mean, you're not really even going to know till a few games in the season. Yeah. you're not. I mean, we're not going to know from the UMass game. I mean, if Auburn has not pulled their starters by early third quarter, then they have underachieved sure. massively. And of course, you're not going to know conditioning if you're only playing one half. Uh, Sanford would be the same thing in week three, week two against Cal. Again, I talked about it's it's pretty close to a lose lose. I'm not going to say that because it's still Power Five team, but it's close. Where okay, you beat Cal, great. Uh, it, unless you absolutely throttle them, I don't think you're going to discern extra amount of confidence towards the SEC slate because of it. 
if you only beat them by three, six, ten points, something, then that's going to be a little concerning, to be quite frank. Be quite frank, regardless of what the betting line ends up being. Right. Uh, and even then, I mean, maybe the conditioning, but still, Cal is not an SEC team that you will not be leaned on in the way. Uh, unless something is obviously wrong, it will not be even that apparent in that game. It will not become apparent until the Texas A&M game week four, and that's part of it. Again, I think it's a overall a good thing that you have a, a lesser slate to start off with, with a new coach, with a new everything. But, again, you won't, you won't be able to discern too much confidence in a lot of things from the first few weeks of the season. We're going to take our first time out of the show. When we come back, we've got a slew of callers on the Auburn Bank phone line, so we'll get to the Auburn Bank phone line right after this. You're listening to the Monday edition of Sports Call on Tiger have your attention please ladies and gentlemen can i please have your attention we're auburn's first and auburn's favorite sports talk show hi my name is what my name is my name is sports call on tiger 95.9 want more sports call check us out online at sportscallauburn.com Welcome back to Sports Call and Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy with you here on this hot and sunny Monday afternoon. We go to the Auburn Bank phone line for the first time today, 334-887-3401 locally or toll free, one 888 First up on the show this afternoon. Matt from Tallahassee. Matt is with us. Matt, how are you this afternoon? It's hot. It is hot. You're... It's, all, it's all Tom's fault. And it's all Tom Peavy's yeah. fault. I've been misbehaving, and so Mother Nature's punishing all of us. That's all it sounds to Tom. Like, do you ever talk to your girlfriend, and she gives, she'll come on and show up sometime? I, I've, I've still got to see if we can't try to work that out sometime. Hey, I was going to ask you, did you guys, I, I, I've been on my computer, and uh, did you guys hear that ESPN has picked LSU to beat Bama? Do you think that will happen? I hadn't seen that. I know that the two are, are neck and neck and different sites, different services are going to have differing opinions. Yeah. And then another question is, like two questions. I'm like, also looking on a computer. It says that Jack Nesbitt is trying to get uh, some guy named uh, Peterson, a safety. And then I saw that Auburn offered a uh, running back from Penn State. Do you guys know anything about those two guys? Uh, had no, had not been uh, been familiar with, with with those two, honestly. Well, they they, they says like uh, they uh, Patterson is a top ranked uncommitted safety in the. In oh the yes, Pat. Yeah, no, I'm sorry, I didn't hear the the name the first time. Had had heard a little bit about him. Um, his I think he set a commitment date uh, coming up here in the in the next few weeks. So, yeah, I know that they're, they're still targeting a couple of these top-ranked players. Um, I, I don't know, obviously, the, the, with the last player um, that just committed, Kamari and Franklin, 
Obviously, Auburn thought that they had a, a really good shot out of him, and it did not work out that way. For So for Zaquan Patterson, I, I believe – I believe he is um, projected to go to Miami, and I know Auburn is one of the finalists in there, but I think that Auburn would have to make a late push there because I do think the projection is that he'd go to Miami. So, hey, Tom, if we got – if do you know anything about Auburn offering the uh, four-star running back from – that he has committed He has committed to Penn State, but do you think Auburn might get him? Uh, I – I'm not going to put anything past Hugh Freeze. I mean, the way that he recruits. And, you know, we've been talking about some of these guys like the Camarion Franklin that just committed to Ole Miss. I don't think that one's over. I think Auburn's going to still try to get him uh, to, to sign with Auburn before December. Uh, I, I don't think anybody's safe from, from Hugh Freeze and, and Auburn. They're going to go after who they feel like they want. And if they want that kid, they're going to turn the pressure up on him. So I think there's always a chance. Yeah, and like I know we had talked about this before, and I was going to do some trivia day at Con. I know we had talked about this before, but what is you guys? How do you think that like uh, New Mexico State would do against UMass? And then how do you guys like what? Is, what is you guys like? Uh, there's like Jacksonville State playing this week too. So what do you guys think about? Those two games. I think Jackson State, Jacksonville State is playing. I think it's Hawaii or someone. It's UTEP. They're playing UTEP. Yeah. So what? So what do you guys think about the New Mexico State and UMass game and the Jacksonville State game also this week? Uh, I. My, my, I mean, I would assume I would assume New Mexico State's going to beat UMass because UMass is not very good. Uh, as far as the other one, I, I really don't I don't know much about UTEP and, and Jacksonville State. What I will say this though is the only thing that I really care about that with those games is the fact that we are going to have college football on. The outcomes of those, I, they're not going to affect anything in the big scheme of things as far as playoffs or as far as Auburn or anything. So I'm just going to be happy to actually have some college football on. Do you, do you guys like for like, like I said I'm not doing trivia but last two questions do you guys think well do you guys think that Auburn can probably win and say in Cal uh, against uh, Cal in California and do you think Auburn can beat uh, Arkansas and Faithful and and Auburn can beat LSU and um, and Baton Rouge, and do you think Auburn could probably beat Bama at Auburn and beat Texas A&M at Texas A&M this year? Yeah, that's a that's a lot of them there. Uh, I definitely think that they're they're going to beat Cal. Uh, I just have a lot of confidence. I think the season would really go off the tracks if they ended up uh, losing the Cal. So I feel good about that one. Arkansas is an interesting one. You can see that one going either way. Uh, would depend on the seasons that, that both those schools were having. Uh, those other games get more difficult. Texas A&M, that's going to be uh, a big one. That's going to be the first SEC game of the year for Auburn, in call, and it's in College Station. Place Auburn's won multiple times before. Just a lot of unknowns around A&M's program and how they're going to function this year. And then uh, those, the, the Bama and LSU games, those will be incredibly difficult. I would, I would not anticipate Auburn winning those two. Yeah, it's going to be difficult when uh, we play Mitchell State, too, at Auburn and Ole Miss. And and then something, and I, I was reading, I was reading something about Alabama, but they they said they they have a lot of quarterbacks they're going to probably name, but they don't know 
who is going to be. I think. I think. Do you guys think that that the quarterback for Notre Dame, that Bama got for Notre Dame, do you think he'll start, or do you think it'll be? Yeah, Tyler. I, Tyler Buckner out of Notre Dame. I, I would yeah, not Milrow's think. going to start. Yeah, I would not think he would be the starter. Um, I would think it'd be Milrow, but Milrow has not confidently won that job. When if he does win the job, uh, I don't think that it is uh, because he has just wowed people. Um, I, I think that they've had a, a a little bit of a difficult process there between Ty Simpson, Tyler Buckner, and, and Jalen Milrow. So I think it'd be another situation where Milrow might win the job, but that does not mean he will end up being the starter all year long. Do you guys probably see? Do you guys probably see like Robbie Ashford or Gardner probably in the like Camper game or the New Mexico State game? Yeah, again, I think that uh, multiple quarterbacks will play in those games because they, they should be blowouts, and you'll play your entire second and third string at some point. So there'll absolutely be the opportunity for Robbie Astrid or Holden Gurner to, to play at that point. I don't know how much it will be, but it'll depend on the score. But I, I do expect more than just Peyton Thorne to play in that first game. Okay, do you guys have time for me to do some trivia? Yeah, real quickly. We can do one or two. Uh, let's see. How about, uh, how about movies? Movie trivia. All right. Uh, let's let's get this. Okay. Uh, do you want to do something? Well, here we go. Which movie has made the most money all time? Oh, oh. I just I was I w- I would say Back to the Future, but that's not that's probably not it. No, not Back to the Future. It's not Star Wars. Star Wars is very close. So actually, I'll give it to you because I was thinking worldwide. But in the uh, in the U.S., Star Wars: The Force Awakens made nine hundred thirty-six million. So I'm going to give you I'm going to give you that one, Matt. Good job. Thank you. Uh, let's give you another one. Um, let's see here. Which is the highest uh, grossing superhero movie of all time in the United States? Oh, that's got to be Superman. Not Superman. Uh. It's not Flash. No, Flash had a uh, had a disappointing run there. Well, I'm talking about Flash Gordon, not the movie Flash. Oh. Um, oh, and, uh, Came out in 2019. 2019. Hmm. Let me see. It has to be, it has to be like a Disney movie, I think. Um... Oh, it was the culmination of an entire timeline, an entire storyline. Like I said, it has to be a Disney movie, but I don't think it is, though. Um, I give up. So it's from Marvel. Marvel. Yeah. Okay, it's from Marvel. Yeah, it's a Marvel movie. Ooh. It's... uh, It's, uh... Vi- it's not, it's not, I was going to say, honey, I started the kids, but that's not it. No, absolutely. No, that's not a superhero movie. It's Avengers Endgame. Uh, <laughs> the the last Avengers movie made $858 million. Hey, uh, has like uh, Tom or Ryan has gained asking any more questions? Uh, he has not. So are you guys still trying to work on so we can like probably two people can talk at the same time probably? Are you guys still trying to work on that? Yeah, again, that's going to be very difficult for us to, to be able to pull off because, I mean, that's 
that's something that we just don't have the equipment for right now. But we'll, if it ever happens down the line, we'll, uh, down the line, we'll let you know. Well, hey, hey, Tom. Yeah, what's up? Don't talk to your girlfriend because I want her. Like next, if you get her on 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 the show, maybe she can get some trivia. We'll see what we can do. And, and so, but it, well, you guys have a good. You guys have a good day. Um, what the heck? I'll. I'll do the cheer, but I'm not going to do it too loud because my mom's trying to sleep and she's she's got to be tired. Oh, I would. I, let's not do the cheer then if she's trying to sleep, even if it's quiet. Let's let's just let's just do an even louder one next week. How about that? Okay. Hey, and hey, if you guys have you guys talked to my man man uh, Devon Reed lately? Uh, we have not, but we need to reach out to him. Yeah, you need to get him on the show. Maybe Andrew's in trivia. Maybe so. Yeah, I'll have to I'll have to let him know. Well, hey, next time you guys see Cam and uh, Brooks, um, I said, hey, and get on our show next Monday or something like that. And, Tom, don't forget to bring your uh, at your girlfriend and stuff. That you guys have, I'll talk to you guys next Monday, and uh, you guys have a good day. And try to stay warm. It's, it's Wednesday. Like uh, I heard like uh, Wednesday is supposed to be 100 degrees, and Saturday is supposed to be 100 degrees. So. Yep, very hot. And, and, uh, well, you guys have a good day and War Eagle, and uh, hope we go probably twelve and one probably. All right, man, War Eagle Matt, appreciate your phone call. That is Matt from Tallahassee, Matt for Auburn, joining us on the Auburn Bank phone line. Let's get one more phone call before the next break: three three four eight eight seven three four zero one locally or toll free. One triple eight nine Tiger Nine. Next up on the show, James from Montgomery. James is with us. James, how are you this afternoon? I'm good, and War Eagle. War Eagle. Yeah, I know that um, y'all were talking about, like, the upcoming schedule for this year. And I know that Matt from Chelsea, I know he was talking about will Auburn beat LSU in Baton Rouge. I would have to say that would be a, a yes. We will beat uh, LSU in Baton Rouge this year. Um, we would at home uh, against Alabama because Alabama, uh, we will be beating Alabama for the Iron Bowl this year in Jordan Harris Stadium. So that's going to be a really, those are going to be two big wins off of our schedule as well. Because I know I looked at on the SEC network, I know they were talking about like the upcoming schedule and they were saying that Auburn was going to lose to LSU, they were going to lose to Georgia, um, Old Miss, Texas A&M, and Alabama. I think. I'll probably say we'll go thirteen and six this year. Can't quite go thirteen and six, James. Could, definitely could end up doing that in basketball and then continue to play ten more from there. Uh, remember, mm-hmm. we got to play twelve in, in college football plus maybe a bowl game or a conference title okay. game. Uh, so can't um, go thirteen and six. Uh, I'll probably say we'll go. Mm, let's let's just make it a little easier on us as well i'll probably say seven and three okay gotta have at least 12 though but uh, we'll put you down let's put you down for nine and three how does nine and three sound um it, it sounds it sounds reasonable as well i i um, i was thinking uh nine and three as well because we would win nine games and then we'll lose three and then plus we'll make it to like a bowl game maybe like a new year's six bowl or um or like a Hawaii Bowl, or um, uh, let's see, 
Uh, I was thinking about the Atlanta Peach Bowl, but no, nah, that that would be for another team. I was thinking more of like a uh, a Birmingham Bowl as well. Yeah, I, I, again, I think Auburn wants to be in a, a better bowl than the Birmingham Bowl, although I do love the hometown of Birmingham. But uh, yeah, now if they go nine and three, I'm thinking some sort of Florida Bowl, um, something like the Gator Bowl or something. But we'll see. Uh, we'll we'll see how it plays out this year. Yes, that's why, because I'm looking at, like, on Alabama's schedule, because I'm going to be watching their games as well, too. And I'm not going to root, I'm going to root against Alabama, because I know that's our rival, so I'm going to root against them. And I'm going to pick, like, their um, opponents that they're going to play. Uh, I'm thinking uh, September the 9th when they play, uh, no, yeah, September 9th when they play Texas, when Texas actually comes to Bryant in the stadium, that's going to be a win for Texas. And then uh, September uh, 10th when they play against Tennessee at Bryant in the stadium, that's going to be another uh, loss for Alabama. So that's going to be two losses for Alabama under uh, Nick Saban as well. And then a lot of people were saying over the weekend, will Alabama win their eighth national championship title. The answer to that is no. Alabama is not going to win another national championship title because I think when you look at championship titles, I think Georgia and Alabama, they're going to meet up again in Atlanta. And I think Kirby Smart is going to win his eighth uh, national championship title this year against Alabama. And if Alabama lose to Georgia, I think it's time for uh, Nick Saban to actually, you know, pack up and and give the give the um, University of Alabama a new head coach as well. So I think it's time for Nick Saban to actually retire after after this season is over. Yeah, pretty bold uh, bold predictions there. Uh, we'll see how it plays out. I know Kirby Smart uh, would be looking for his third title as a, a head coach. Won won a few as a defensive coordinator for sure with Alabama, but. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think still that those are the two favorites for the SEC title game, especially Georgia in the East. Again, Bama's going to have a little bit more of a difficult task, uh, just especially because of LSU, but they do get that game at home. Uh, and, uh, again, we'll, we'll see how it all plays out this year. Yes, that's well, because I know, um, you know, I know uh, Nick Saban with a lot of age comes with a lot of, with great, with age comes great responsibility. And I think that it is, actually time for Nick Saban to retire. Um, I, I don't see him actually, you know, he's been coaching for a long time at Alabama, but I, I think it's time for him to retire and just, you know, have a, have a nice, uh, a nice long Island sea, you know, sitting out in his back porch and just, you know, reading a nice book or something like that. And just, you know, leaving, leaving Alabama, uh, you know, to, to somebody that could coach, uh, Alabama's uh, team uh, this year and, you know, in the near future as well to actually, you know, give that that title uh, to Al- to another uh, another head coach that might want to bring something that Alabama fans would love to see as well. And then, um, you know, seeing a lot of different uh, football players with some uh, – outstanding names I had never heard of for 
you know, for the commentators to actually call out. Like, I know they had one, I think it's the guy on the Alabama uh, football team that his first name is Kool-Aid. Kool-Aid, yep. um, Kool-Aid. I don't know his last name. McKinstry. Yes. Now, I know when the season starts, I know that's going to be kind of hard to actually say out on on uh, national TV, but I think that's going to be really funny as well. Because when, when you when you actually have somebody that's named Kool Aid McKinstry, I, I think that's going to be a really good uh, a good drink to actually drink during this hot summer uh, day uh, in in Alabama as well. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Kool Aid McKinstry will be. I think his name will be called a lot this year because he is going to be one of the the top DBs in the country and. I think that uh, he will end up making the NFL eventually, too, so you will hear uh, his name a, a lot going forward. What else is on your mind today, James? Well, I'm actually going to be looking at uh, some Big 12 news as well and uh, seeing what Oregon and Bo Nix is actually going to be doing for this coming up this coming up year because I know you all are previewing, previewing uh, the Big 12, so I'm just going to see uh, what Oregon will actually do, and I think that Oregon – would uh, look like a, a national championship game with Bo Nix as well. And um, over the weekend, I was looking at some highlights from uh, Bo Nix uh, playing days at Auburn and seeing his um, his highlights on YouTube from when he was playing in in, in uh, high school. And and I, I think he might have a, a huge huge opportunity in the NFL in his near future as well. Yeah, uh, Oregon is in the Pac-12, and that will that will happen for one more year, and then they will end up going to the Big Ten. Uh, and again, we're doing uh, Big 12 today, uh, not Pac-12. So uh, there will be Oklahoma and Texas and that sort of stuff. And then also, uh, if you care, UCF, who's coached by uh, former Auburn head coach Gus Malzahn. Yeah, because I um yeah I got that uh, I got those two uh, divisions mixed up. So um, with the uh, Big Twelve, I'm looking at like Texas. So I'm going to be uh, looking at their schedule uh, later on today and seeing what the Texas Longhorns are going to do and uh, seeing if they're going to uh, see if they're actually going to play like against Arkansas because I know that's a huge. Uh, rivalry between Texas and Arkansas as well. So that's one of the uh, biggest rivalries ever that, you know, that, uh, you know, that, that Texas fans would love to see. And um, when Texas and Oklahoma actually come to the SEC, will Texas and Oklahoma still play the Red River rivalry between Texas and Oklahoma if they were going to be coming to the SEC the uh, next few years down the line? Yes, they will continue to um, do the Red River rivalry. Easy for me to say, Red River rivalry. That will continue on uh, Texas-Oklahoma. There's going to be at least one protected rivalry uh, in the conference once they join, and so for Texas and Oklahoma, that will absolutely be the one. They will continue to play that. Yes, because I'm looking at maybe like some upcoming like future games in the near future for Auburn. I'll probably say like September the 11th, uh, I'll probably see Auburn in Indiana, like Auburn and Indiana University actually playing a homecoming game as well, because I would love to see Auburn and Indiana play. And then I would like to see for uh, November, uh, like November the 11th, I would like to see Auburn versus Army. 
you know, for the, for the, um, for the military appreciation week as well. And that would be a really good, uh, game as well for, for Auburn and the University of Army, uh, Golden Knights to actually play in Jordan Hare Stadium under the lights as well. And then for the halftime show, they can do, uh, you know, like something, you know, to honor the men and women of this great country as well. Yeah, uh, that uh, might be an option. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, that would be a couple couple good thoughts you had there. James, any final thoughts for, uh, for us today before we let you go? Um, I don't have any final thoughts as well, but I will call you all back on tomorrow with some good uh, trivia as well. So I'm going to actually uh, dig in my trivia box and uh, see what I can find for tomorrow's show as well. All right. Well, we'll uh, eagerly await what you pull out of the trivia box then. All right, sounds good, and War Eagle. War Eagle, that is James from Montgomery joining us on the Auburn Bank phone line. We need to take one final timeout in this first hour of the show. Back to wrap up hour number one right after this. To join our conversation, tweet us your thoughts on Twitter at SportsCallAU. I'm Britt Bowen, voice of Auburn women's basketball and Auburn softball. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm and the Tiger Communications app. Ryan LaVoy and Tom Peavy with you here on this Monday afternoon. We continue on here with the show. Got four or five minutes left in this hour. Coming up later, more of your phone calls on the Auburn Make phone line. Also, a preview of Auburn football. Of course, we've been doing that technically for weeks, if not months, but uh, we'll have the official Auburn preview uh, for you in the 4 o'clock hour, and then we will begin breaking down the Big 12 Conference as we do a Big 12 preview. We did some win totals uh, earlier this summer, but now we kind of go into our actual predictions on what's going to happen, the storylines to follow in each of the Power 5 conferences this week. And, of course, that will lead you into Saturday, which we will have live college football to consume. Again, a few minutes left in this first hour. It's perfect time for today's birthdays in sports. It's time for today's birthdays in sports. All right, birthdays in sports today. Got a good list today and one that was left off that I'm going to get to here in a little bit that I'm not going to let go just because Atlanta Falcons people were making the 
uh, birthdays today. Anyway, get to that in just a second, aren't I guess, you? Chris? I guess I'll have to do some emergency research on that one. He's a wide receiver that's very good for the uh, team that is on my shirt right now. That is your hint without telling all who I'm referring to. Uh, Archie Griffin turned 69 today, former Bengals running back. Griffin was born in Columbus, Ohio, and led his high school to a state championship in 1971. And that would be the Eastmore High School Go Warriors. Go Warriors. Now called Eastmore Academy. Okay. Eastmore High Warriors? School at the time. Still the Warriors. Okay. So, hey, that, that, that all that affects us is the nickname there. No. So we're good. Uh, played college football in Ohio State. Go Buckeyes. Where he was a four-year starter for the Buckeyes. Three-time All-American, two-time Big Ten MVP, two-time Walter Camp Award winner, and two-time Heisman Memorial Trophy winner, making him the only player to win the award twice. At the time of his graduation, Griffin had the NCAA records for career rushing yards and carries. His number 45 was retired by Ohio State. In 1976, he was taken 24th overall by the Cincinnati Bengals. He played seven years before retiring. He is a member of the College Football Hall of Fame. Archie Griffin turned 69 today. Jim McMahon turned 63, former NFL quarterback. McMahon was born in New Jersey, moved to Utah while in high school, played college football and baseball at BYU. Go Cougars! Becoming starter as a junior, two-time All-American as a Cougar, and winner of the 1981 Davey O'Brien and Sammy Baugh trophies. His number nine is retired by BYU, taken fifth overall by the Bears in 1985, became the starter for the team as a rookie, winning the Super Bowl. He also won a record, uh, a second Super Bowl as a backup with the Packers in 1996. He is a one-time Pro Bowler. Jim McMahon turns 63 today. He went to Roy High School in Roy, Utah. Go Royals. The Roy, Roy Royals. Royals. <laughs> Roy Royals. Well, that's uh, That is a mouthful. That. Yes, it is, but it makes sense. It's just a little difficult there. Uh, so, Jim McMahon, 63 today. He is a Roy Royal. Usain <laughs> Bolt turns 37, former Olympic sprinter. Bolt was born in Jamaica and began playing cricket and soccer in addition to running track. He chose wisely as he began focusing track on track as a teenager, went pro in 2004, competed professionally for 13 years, won eight Olympic gold medals across all world competitions. Bolt won 23 gold medals and set several world records. You say Bolt is 37 today. I don't have a mascot for this, but he did attend William Nibb Memorial High School in uh, Traylon Parish, Jamaica. All right. That's still pretty good research there. Yeah. Very nice. And then J.D. Martinez, students 36, designated hitter for the L.A. Dodgers. Martinez was born in Florida and played college baseball at Nova Southeastern University. Go Sharks! News to me, but I like it, where he set several school records from 2007-2009 and was two-time All-Sunshine State Conference player. He was drafted by the Astros in the 20th round 2009, was called up in 2011. Having played at the major league level since, he is a six-time All-Star, three-time Silver Slugger, and one-time World Series champion during his time with the Boston Red Sox. J.D. Martinez is 36 today. And he went to Flanagan High School in Pembroke Pines, Florida. Go Falcons. Falcons there. And then the birthday that was left off today, uh, which one I'm refusing to be allowed to be left off, is Mike Evans, who turns 30 today, wide receiver for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers out of Texas A&M. Gig him. Uh, Evans is the first receiver in NFL history to begin a career with nine consecutive 1,000-yard uh, receiving seasons going for number 10 hopefully this year 81 career touchdowns to go along with his 10,400 
and 25 receiving yards. Future Hall of Famer Mike Evans turns 30 today. He went to Ball High School in Texas. They are called the Tours. The Tours. Okay. T-O-R-S. Their mascot is a golden tornado. Oh, okay. The so short for the, tornado. Yeah, the Tours. The Ball Tours. Can we not... <laughs> we just not can we not just go tornadoes? I don't know. I yeah. I don't know. Anyway. Uh yeah, Galveston Tech Ball High School in Galveston, Texas. But yeah, they are the tours. Okay. Not the tornadoes, the tours. The and ball so tours. That is where Mike Evans went to high school. He turns thirty today. Those are the birthdays in sports. Mike Evans is thirty. JD Martinez is thirty six. Usain Bolt thirty seven. Jim McMahon sixty three. And Archie Griffin sixty nine. That is a very, very nice birthday list here this afternoon we are out of time for the first hour of the show again as mentioned in hour number two go back to the auburn bank phone line also a preview of auburn football for 2023 of course the previews will not end with just today but again ending our 14 sec teams in 14 days with auburn and then going to pivot from that into a preview of the big 12 conference in hour number three as well as a best and worst of the weekend you're listening to the monday edition of sports call on tiger 95.9 stay tuned more after this One hour of our show is in the books. We've got more to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Sports Call right after the break. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Second hour of Sports Call starting right now, Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm and the Tiger Communications app. Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy with you here on this Monday afternoon and still a lot to do on this Monday edition of the show. But we start off hour number two, heading back to the Auburn Bank phone line, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Next up on the show this afternoon, Ward Dam Steve. Retired Ward Dam Steve is with us. Steve, how are you this afternoon? Hey, much cooler inside than outside. How about you guys? Uh, yes, sir. Same. Enjoying the AC here because, yeah, it's, it is brutally hot outside. Yeah, I just can't wait to see my electricity bill. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. Uh, I'm going to stay away from Auburn football for a while. I want to go around the world to the other sports, uh, if I may, please. Sure. How about uh, Sunday's win by Miss Olga Carmona, I believe is her name, uh, for Spain? She made the uh, winning uh, goal one to nothing. 
uh, what was sad about it, unfortunately, uh, she found out after the game that her father passed away before the game had started, but she wouldn't told that until later on. Yeah. So, but uh, uh, and I didn't know this, but apparently Spain is one of only two countries, the other country, uh, Germany, who has won both the women's and the men's uh, World Cup uh, championships. Okay. Yeah. So, if you didn't know it, now you, you know. know. It. Yeah. Okay. All right. Moving on. Uh, this is what I call the holy crap category, uh, in a good holy crap kind of way, from the uh, late uh, Peter Boyle. Julio Rodriguez, 17 for 22, has surpassed the most hits ever in the American and National League. Uh, the previous season uh, holder, with, or the record holder, was somebody by the name of Milt Stock. Yeah, in the in early 1900s. Yeah. 1925, yeah. Uh, the, this guy's incredible. And he also stole five bases. Yeah, uh, he's he's a really good player. He'd had, he'd been having a little bit of a disappointing year. He was a rookie last year. But Seattle as a club has gotten hot lately here. They're got, they've gotten back into the wild card race in the American League, and a big part of it is Julio Rodriguez has gotten it going. So has he just gotten hot, guys? Because I don't follow baseball that much. Or was he this good last year? You know, he, I mean, he was really good as a rookie last year. I, I think he won Rookie of the Year in the American League. Uh, I mean, he, he was really good last year, but he'd been a little underwhelming this year. Uh, but, again, that's changing in a hurry, obviously. I think he was hitting in the 250 range, and now he's up in the 270s after that big week last week. So was, was he a steal by Seattle, or did they pay big bucks to get him? Well, he was a prospect. I mean, I don't recall. It probably was a first-round pick. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure. I can, I can double-check here. Uh, but no, he was definitely a a prospect for them, and and he was a big time prospect. I mean, he was a, a big deal coming up, and I remember him being listed as one of the top prospects in baseball. But uh, yeah, no, he was a uh, he was drafted by the Mariners. Let's see, I mean, he's 22 years old, so it wasn't long that long ago. Uh, I think he was an international free agent, so I do think that they uh, got him. Um, I'm trying to double check here. Yeah, he signed with the Mariners. He signed with the Mariners as an international free agent when he was 16 years old in July of 2017. Okay, so he was not from the U.S. then. Yeah, that's kind of how the Braves got Acuna too. Some of these uh, international bonus pool slots that they're not eligible for the for the draft. I mean, I guess that happens with a lot of foreign players. They're not eligible for the American high school and college draft. So you have international bonus pool money, and I could bore you with all those details, but that's how they get access to these. Uh, foreign-born players that end sure. up being really good. What country did he come from? Uh, Julio Rodriguez is from the Dominican Republic. Dominican Republic, yeah. I think uh, Bray's got some of them uh, from Dominican Republic as well. Okay. Uh, I just uh, I don't follow baseball that much, and I just didn't know this guy was that good. All right. Uh, moving on, of course, the Braves uh, did uh, win the series. They didn't sweep. They lost 5-4 to four on a walk. They walked into winning run after a little bit of bases. I uh, just uh, was reading down here, and uh, uh, who was a pitcher? My God, he struck. I mean, he hit two of the batters in the ninth inning, right? Yeah, it was Kirby Yates, and he had been seven and zero before uh, he lost that one. He has an ERA in the high two, so he'd actually been pretty good. He just lost command there in the, at the wrong time. I mean, I love your understatement comments sometimes. He just lost command. He hit two batters in a row. Yeah, I mean, but that's what happened. I mean, his command is, is usually a lot better than that, and he's had a good season, so I'm not going to drag the guy because he, he, he had a, a bad inning. But, 
I mean, that is what it was. I mean, he lost command. I don't know how else I should put that. Okay, I mean, you know, uh, that's really losing command. Obviously, we hit two batters uh, in a row. All right, uh, so moving on, guys. Well, let's go to Auburn football. Yes, uh, guys, uh, that one uh, that, that was stunning that we lost uh, Mr. Franklin uh, not to Georgia or Alabama or even LSU, but to Ole Miss. Ouch. Yeah, well, uh, we talked about it at the beginning of the show. It, it had started trending towards Ole Miss, but I, I think Lane Kiffin did a good job on convincing the kid that being in state was where he needed to go. And I mean, that's what he talked about: is he wanted to, quote unquote, represent the SIP. So yeah, he's uh, from that state. He, he's and, from Mississippi. Yeah. He decided to stay in state. It, it was a big uh, recruiting win for Lane Kiffin and those guys. However, I don't think it's over. I don't think it's over. Um, now it's a little more difficult, you know, when you've already had the kid commit like that. But you know, I don't think that they're going to be done with him. I, they don't sign until December, so I, I would imagine that Hugh Freeze and that staff are going to stay on him. And a lot of it will also have to do with what happens during the season. If Ole Miss absolutely tanks and they get rid of Kiffin, then he may be on the market. If Auburn looks like they're very impressive, he may think differently about you know wanting to come here. So. Uh, right now, yeah, it's a big miss, but I don't think it's over. I know, I know it's never over, but I just, you know, you know, I just, to me, it's it's not where Auburn should be to lose a commitment that high rated to a Mississippi State or Ole Miss team, uh, okay? Uh, especially when, when was the last time Ole Miss has been to the SC Championship? Yeah. Never. Yeah, I know, again, I know. It's but, not, it's, but it's, it's not all about that. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a kid that's from Mississippi, and he decided to stay in state, and I mean – it's going to happen. It's just kind of part of it. Yep, it's going to happen. All right. All right. Uh, moving on, staying still with all the football. We have a commitment, an honorable commitment uh, uh, that's going to be occurring at 6 p.m. today. Uh, the man's name is who? Caleb or J.J. Falk, whose younger brother apparently is Kevin Falk, who's already on our team. And uh, the announcement is going to be at 6 p.m. between us and Alabama, guys. He's a big, uh, apparently, uh, commit that everybody's uh, trying to get. Yeah, he's um, he's in the two thousand. So he's in the two thousand twenty five class, right. uh, uh, and, and he is uh, strongly favored to go to Auburn. Now, again, I would caution as, as much as much as we. And hang on, uh, just hang on. Uh, as much as I would, uh, as I caution people, even about reading in the twenty twenty four predictions, the the fact that it's so far out always gives me just. I mean, like, yes, you commit, but then is it really over? I would say because his brother is at Auburn, I would say that this is a little more rock solid than the average 2025 commitment or, or average prediction machine commitment. But, I mean, he is strongly favored to go to Auburn. It's just it's a ways away uh, from being able to happen since he's 2025 class. Okay. Uh, speaking about <laughs> – excuse me, uh, Tom, you making some comments earlier, I think, about the uh, – was it about the, the amount of information coming out? Uh, this program, he's uh, freezing, you know, uh, about uh, practice sessions. And all I can say is, you know, uh, reading uh, uh, a number of the uh, 247 uh, sports writers, uh, Nathan King, Christian Clemente, Jason Caldwell, even Marshall, they're saying, they're reporting that they are having uh, more access availability uh, to the coaches and the players than previously, uh, even before Harson even. Yeah. Um, well, what is your take? No, I mean they—they're getting more access. All—all all I'm saying is it, it's typical. 
it's typical of these practices like this where you're not going to get all the information. Uh, and so it's hard. All I'm saying is it's hard to really get a good gauge on what's going on because you're not there for the entire practice. You're not, you know, you're not getting all of the information. Sure. They may be being a little more open with the media, but they're still not telling everything that's going on. So it's just very difficult to, to get a real strong, outsider looking in gauge on what's going on with the team okay well since you said that that gives me a good segue here um there's a blogger who's pretty darn uh accurate uh giving uh inside information on uh, because they're there to practice he's an alumni and he also states that he is a former uh football coach but uh, anyway he was he's been to all the practices that they've had as scrimmages and he comes across uh, over this weekend he said that uh, the office, he says, go, he feels is going to be very solid after his observations over the weekend. Uh, he believes that he says Thorne is a very solid quarterback uh, with a lot of quarterback moxie. Not only he says is his passing better, but uh, he said uh, he's actually looking more comfortable. And then he says that Ashford, he says, come a million miles in all facets of his game. He looks more controlled, more poised, and doesn't go off the the wall, he says, when the play uh, doesn't go his way. So I thought that was an interesting comment. He feels really uh, better about our receivers, especially two of these guys, Hooks and Fairweather. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys, a sentiment uh, on those two people? Yeah, no, I mean, those are the exact two we brought up in the in the first segment of the show is, you know, Shane Hooks had that highlight reel catch in the scrimmage that made the rounds on social media He'd already had a couple catches like that at Jackson State. He's been someone that we've both been high on. And I, I would – honestly, I would – at this point, I'd go as far as to say I'd be surprised if Shane Hooks does not end up either the leading or second-leading receiver on this team. I'll just go ahead and throw that out there. I think he's – I think he's starting to try to separate himself. And um, I, I, I would I would find it to be a slightly disappointing or someone else just be incredible if he's not one of the two – leading receivers on the team. As far as Rivaldo Fairweather, I still think I still think they're gonna have to figure out where they want him and how often they want him and that sort of thing because he is was a tight end and I still think he'll play that position some. I think he'll function like a wide receiver at times. The, the bottom line is is he, he could be a, a a mismatch. He could be a matchup issue for, for certain defenses. So Auburn's got to figure out the best way to use that, and I don't know if they'll necessarily use that all the time. It might be situational. It might be little at first and a lot in certain games. So, uh, but, but he certainly has the potential to make a big impact. And uh, I got to ask you guys, because I saw that video clip of his one-handed catch, how in the world uh, did he get, I guess, not noticed by any SEC teams that went uh, to Jackson. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'd have to go back and look at his profile. I mean, that that could have been somebody that Dion pulled that that might have been uh, in play for for other schools at the Power Five level. Um, you know, I, I mean, I again, I don't know. Obviously, I was not following along with him until he he went to Auburn. But we do recall that that uh, there was a couple different times where. Uh, Deion Sanders was able to pull some people that uh, were were pretty big deal. I'm looking at now. Uh, he was a three star player, so I mean it wasn't like he was unranked. And uh, Jackson State would have normally not gotten even a three star player. Uh, but yeah, no, he had not really been uh, been big time recruited. It looks like so. I mean, yeah, again, it was a big pull there. All right, well, going on real quickly, this guy also um, who's at the, the scrimmage in practice, 
uh, says it's about the, uh, the running backs. Uh, he says that Austin reminds him of a young Eric Smith, of the way he reads holes and creases. And he says Cobb, he says, reminds him of a young Cadillac Williams. And the Sean Jackson looks good and uh, apparently uh, runs real hard. So the reason I brought this up, because I want to ask you guys, because uh, some other people on here uh, remarked about uh, the running back's uh, depth, and he said the same thing. This is one of the uh, largest or best running, depth, running back depths that we've had in quite some time, including, he said, uh, Cadillac, Ronnie Brown, uh, Trey Smith. I've got the other person. Uh, guys, what do you think about our depth? I, I, those guys. I, I think we should calm a little bit down on, on some of those comparisons because uh, uh, Ronnie Brown and Cadillac Williams both went the top five or six of the NFL draft. Well, that's what I was thinking. Uh, so I think we need to calm down a little bit there. Uh, and then also there was good running back rooms 2013 time. I mean, you had Trey Mason, Cameron Ars Payne, and Corey Grant, I believe, on the, on the yeah. same backfield. I mean, those guys were all very accomplished. Obviously, Ars Payne and, and Mason put up gaudy numbers, and then Corey Grant was a perfect situational guy. Uh, so I, I think we need to be a little careful here. I certainly see potential in this room. I've talked highly about this room. I think we all have. Uh, but I, again, let's 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 see it on the field for a few games before we start to make some some pretty lofty comparisons like that. Sure. Finally, his pessimism about uh, what he's seen is on the defensive line. He said they're not consistent enough, and he said their pad level he said is too high at times, and they don't get off their blocks very well. So, but he loves our secondary. So that's what his observations were. All right. And how about this? Who on the Auburn uh, in the Auburn football program is known as the practice jerk? On the Auburn program, practice jerk. I'm not uh, sure. And that he freeze? Oh yes, yes. yes. Is, I thought yeah. I was thinking player. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and I, I'm sorry, laughing right here. Apparently, during the practice, and uh, Nathan King was there, Jason Caldwell, because they could hear him. Uh, he would uh, put on uh, his headset. And I'm reading some of these comments. They're hilarious. He got on to uh, Jair Shorter, I guess, and he put on his headset and he said, are you going to make a play today? And then he goes on and puts headset back on again another uh, time while he's out there. He taps on his headset. And to Keontae Scott, he says the following, are you going to make a tackle today? Have we decided to tackle today? So I thought these are, uh, I'm sure they're meant to be, you know, uh, famous, hey, guys, you know, well, what are we doing out here? But, I mean, they made me laugh. Um, he goes on, then he makes a uh, comment to uh, about Jay Fair at one point in his uh, practice, and he makes a comment, and he said out loud, he said, um, Jay Fair is always making a play. Anyone else? Anyone else want to help out? Yeah. I, he talked a little bit about it in the press conference on Saturday where he was basically, basically saying at Liberty – he had kind of stepped back a little bit in that role, let some other coaches ride some players and that sort of thing. But he just feels the need now back at back at a big time program to to kind of be, as you said, the jerk. And the, he said not call people out, but call people up. And so, uh, yeah, no, he's definitely taking on that role. Yeah, he's pretty candid. I mean, you know, what do we hear from Coach Gus Malzahn most time? What we're in a good spot, like a good week of practice. Uh oh, right, competing. Uh, yeah. And yep. you know, this guy even said, you know, I was for his press conferences afterwards, but he said uh, the uh, practice week uh, with the injury, he said, was not very good. They, they were flat. Uh, in fact, he even said one time that it made him sick to his stomach. 
we saw how the receivers were not uh, catching passes right. Yeah. So, um, you know, then, then here's another one he sees. <laughs> he asked uh, Coach, uh, Coach Jake Thornton, said, dude, are we even coming off the ball? I said, wow, uh, that, that's pretty blunt. Yeah, um, so, that he also mentioned there he was <laughs> he joked that he wasn't sure if it's because of the new helmets that they've got on because you know they've got those protective helmets so they don't make the same loud noises, the same pops, uh, and that sort of thing. But uh, yeah, I recall him saying that too. And finally, he said this. Uh, he said to his players, he "said I think he said we're still learning to do uh, a lot of different things that they're not used to," and he said there's still some holdover from quote, "Well, man, we just lost five yards." He says, play the next play, he told him. There's nothing you can do about it. And I want to hear He says, I do not want to hear it. I said, hey, you don't need to talk about it. Let's play the next one. If we talk about the uh, play before that didn't go well, it needs to be on the sideline, not by your plan. I said, well, that was interesting uh, uh, feedback he gave him. He said, he just wanted, he wanted to talk about something that didn't go right while they're out there on the playing field. Um, I've never heard any, uh, Coach uh, say that. Have you guys heard that before? I mean, I've certainly heard versions of play the next play and and worry about right. the next one. So, I mean, I, I think you. I think you still want to. I think you still, at the end of the day, want to go correct what you missed, but also in the moments, like you're not going to to know everything about what went wrong right there. And I mean, in the heat of the moment, you got to get the next play in and that sort of stuff. I mean, you got to focus on the next play. If you let if you let the first down play going wrong uh, bother you, then you'll have the whole drive go wrong. And when you talk about uh, Thornton's uh, pass uh, completion, uh, I, I looked at his stats. It was seventy percent that he did, and I saw that uh, 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 Ashford, I think, was a eight of fifteen. Yeah, eight of fifteen. Fifty-three percent, something like that. No, fifty. Fifty's right, but yeah. yeah. I was just saying he went eight of fifteen, and Gerner went seven eleven. Thornton was, or Peyton Thorn was twelve of seventeen. And again, you know, you guys are correct. You, what, what can we tell from that? I mean. The defense knows that the plays are pretty much going to be right. Yeah, I mean, again, I, I don't. Also, we don't know yardages, which is relevant. I mean, if was Thorne twelve of seventeen for eighty yards, was twelve of seventeen for one hundred eighty yards? I mean, there's there's other things that go into it. I just, that's just what we know, so that's what we can get to you. And and that's the other thing is not being able to see. You know, what does he what does he look like in the pocket? You know, what is his pocket presence like? Uh, the ones that he misses, how bad are the misses? Uh, were some of the incompletions? Where he hit a defender, uh, hit a cornerback right in the chest with a pick six, and he just dropped it. Well, it just goes as an incompletion. You know, these are the things we don't know, and we're not going to know full scale until we see them against UMass. And even then, it's it's going to give us kind of an insight into it, but not the full picture because UMass is so bad. But yeah, I mean, just trying to glean any kind of information from. Uh, a little bit of hearsay here and there from these practices and scrimmages, man. It, it, you're, it, it's really, really trying to like nitpick certain little things without a full depth of information. And finally, guys, this is, a, this is not a rhetorical question because I don't know the answer to us, Matthew. You know, you talk about you know um, people being, making predictions about the final score. Um, what has been Hugh Freeze's history historically pattern, whether at Ole Miss? or Liberty, or anywhere else, when it comes to big leads. Uh, does he lose them? Does he, is he a Steve Spurrier kind of coach that keeps at it? Or does he lay back and try to just maintain uh, the score, that he, the lead that he has? What's he like? I mean, I, I don't recall too – I mean, 
I, I don't know. I don't recall every I, little situation they yeah. were in at Liberty or I know with the Ole Miss stuff, I know the one I know there was one blown game that comes to mind. They would have won the SEC West, but they Arkansas had the several ladder uh lateral play. Uh the now late Alex Collins for Arkansas was part of that, sent to overtime and or or lost the game on that basically. So uh, I mean, I don't know. Again, as I told you the last week, Steve, you know that that's a net, that's not blown leads are something that obviously suck, and not every coach goes through them, but most coaches do get conservative in the fourth quarter or in the second half if they're up multiple scores. That that is not some unique thing to Auburn coaches. Um, no, and, I understand that, Ryan. I'm just referring. I pick on Spurrier because he never let up. Sure, but he was also an outlier. Forty-two to nothing, and he would always. I just right. was wondering, you know, that's you part know, of the reason he was who he was, and because it was there's not many are like him. Yeah, I just wonder. You know, see, he's, he's more offensive-minded, but does he continue? You know, just just you know, trying to score, or does he just try to then maintain the the lead and, and play not to lose it? Yeah. Again, I. I I don't know. I didn't. <laughs> I did watch some Ole Miss, believe me, but I don't. I don't know if I have uh, that deep dive an opinion to be able to to relate to you. Okay. Well, then I guess we'll find out probably in the UMass game to see if he, you know, tries to just you know obliterate them, or he just stays comfortable with whatever score is in the third or fourth quarter and just puts in third and fourth string people, right? Well, I mean, no. I mean, he's going to put in second and third string people. Uh, I, I would not judge uh, any. F- any low FBS team or FCS game on on someone's aggression, I you would have to you you would want an SEC game for that. That the UMass or New Mexico State, any of that, that's not going to be a, a good telltale sign. Or maybe the Cal game. Maybe Cal, yeah, may, maybe Cal. Okay, guys, that's it. I've uh, ran out of things I can ramble about. So thanks for your time as always. Uh, have a safe afternoon and evening, and uh, we'll uh, probably not do this tomorrow. I'm going to be going to see the. Uh, Last voyage of the Metter, I think it's called. Oh, the the Metter, yeah. Yeah, it's a yeah, movie. Have yep. uh, No, I've not seen it, but I'm actually planning to later this week, so we'll have to compare notes. Okay, then. All right, Till next time, guys. War Eagle. All right, War Eagle, Steve. Appreciate your phone call. That is Retired Word AM. Steve joining us on the Auburn Bank phone line. If you want to give us a call today, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, 1-888-9. Tiger 9. We're going to take our next time out. When we come back, we do our official preview of Auburn football in 2023. As uh, we complete our 14 SEC teams and 14 shows, we'll be right back with an Auburn preview after this. Looking for another way to listen to our show? Be sure to download the Tiger Communications app and listen to Sports Call wherever you go. Follow Sports Call on Twitter at SportsCallAU. Like us on Facebook at SportsCallAU. Welcome back to Sports Call on Tiger 
Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy with you here on this Monday afternoon. A lot to do here in the second hour or second uh, half of the show, I should say. So let's get to it as we now preview Auburn football for 2023. And coming up a little bit later, we will preview Big 12 football. Also, I want to remind you of a sports call 5 at 5 at the top of the 5 o'clock hour brought to you by Southeastern Land Group. So with Auburn, Tom, we've gone at this various angles, various position groups, but we'll still kind of format it the way that we previewed the other schools. We kind of are repeating a lot of this stuff because obviously we cover Auburn every day. But sure. uh, the questions are mainly defensive, at least in terms of the front seven. You've got still questions. I don't think they're all bad questions, but you do have questions in the wide receiver room, questions on offensive line, brought in a lot of new players there. I think there's real optimism there and real room to be uh, be increasingly confident. Still worry about the defense, though, however. Um, I just don't know how they're going to stop the run effectively this year. I think ultimately they end up as an above-average to pretty good offensive unit. But defense, I just have no idea where it's going to end up. You've got a different guy stylistically, Ron Roberts. You do feel pretty good about the secondary linebackers. There's some intrigue there, some potential, but need to be better than last year. And then, of course, again, with defensive line, uh, need to be better than last year when you already lost a a couple of key players from last year, which is the reason it made it uh, respectable in the first place. So, Again, those those are issues that we're really not going to have answers to until that Texas A&M and Georgia game week four, week five. Yeah, uh, and, and that's the reason all the questions, and that's the big thing is questions and the unknown. That's why you have so many people predicting Auburn to have a five-win season, uh, some having four-win season. You know, I, there's not few that have – you know, there's very, very few that are doing that, but I have seen that. Um, but you know, it's all, mostly it's all around that six win. That's kind of the general area, I guess. And it's because there are so many questions. Now, I think some of those questions are starting to get answered. I naming, uh, Peyton Thorne, the starter at quarterback for right now answers that question because that was a huge question. That may have been the biggest question. I mean, who is your quarterback going to be? Because we knew Robbie Ashford was, he was okay last year, but, I mean, he's not a guy that you just feel confident leading your team to the promised land, as we keep hearing. He, he's not, a, to me, is not an SEC-caliber thrower, at least what we saw last year. He's definitely got athletic ability to do a lot of things, but you're just not comfortable with him at QB. You bring in a guy that is proven at a top level. Granted, it's Big Ten but he still went up against top competition at Michigan State and led Michigan State to a 10-2 and two season two years ago and threw for 5,000 and something yards. I mean, it's a guy that can sling the ball around. And so you feel like that has answered that question. And for me, that was the biggest question because I think Peyton Thorne was the difference between six and seven wins and potentially eight wins. I, I think he is good enough, if he can stay healthy, to bump you to at least that eight-win season – which then sets you up to if you can actually sneak up on somebody, you can get that nine. I think ten is ten is just really, really stretching it. But I, I think eight is definitely possible, and nine is like yes, yeah, surprise somebody. 
So that's the big question. Now, defensive-wise, or let me, let me stay on offense since I was talking about quarterbacks, so I'm not jumping all over. Uh, we know the running backs are going to be solid. And, I, and again, I'll always preface sure. this with as long as they stay healthy because that's that can derail anybody's season if you have a rash of injuries. We've seen that with teams that had high expectations and all of a sudden they dealt with, with a rash of injuries. You've seen it with kind of moderate, moderate expectations and a rash of injuries just completely derail everything. We've seen that. So as long as they stay healthy, running backs should be good. Uh, you know Jarquez Hunter, and, and now you know he's been cleared to go. So Jarquez Hunter is going to be good. We've heard a lot about Brian Batty. Um, Damari Austin is good. I mean, they're, they're guys there. So you're not worried about running backs. Wide receivers, you're hearing that was a huge concern just because of last year, and it was like you just didn't have a go-to guy. But now it feels like with some of these transfers, you're starting to have some guys that that are stepping up that that might actually be a go-to type guy. And so I start feeling a little more comfortable the more I hear about some of the wide receivers that, that are the new guys, and I'm good there. Now, the biggest question, obviously, offensive line. It's going to be pretty much a brand-new setup on the offensive line. You've brought in new guys. Uh, you've brought in transfer guys. How are they going to mesh together? What's the new philosophy is going to look like? There's just major, major questions there. And that's an area that we're not going to know about until we actually see them on the field because we can talk about offensive line and practice all we want to, but you really don't know until you see it. It's easy to talk about the quarterbacks and the running backs and the wide receivers because those are the things that stand out to you. If you're watching a practice or if you're watching a scrimmage, you see that. Those are the, the very obvious things. The very unobvious things that you really have to dive deep into is that offensive line. Are, are there major breakdowns there? Do they look more physical? Do they look bigger? Um, to me, it sounds like they're going to be bigger than they were last year. They've, they've kind of bulked up a little bit. But scheme-wise on the offensive line, are they missing assignments? Are they having the breakdowns? Uh, are, are they very dominant? And then this is the other thing is it's hard to also tell because you're going to get up against your own guys. And so are you happy that the defense is getting into the offensive line? Or are you upset that the offensive line can't seem to stop anybody? Those are mm, – you're not really going to know until you see them on the field. But that's my big question mark on the offensive line. Because uh, like I said, I think wide receiver – is beginning to get answered. Quarterback got answered with Peyton Thorne. Uh, defensive side of the things, I am not concerned at all about the secondary. Uh, it, I mean, it's a whole bunch of names that everybody has heard. Jalen Simpsons, um, DJ James, Nehemiah Pritchard, um, Keontae Scott. I mean, we've heard these guys. They, we know that they can be good. We know they're most likely going to be good. Probably one of the best group of secondary in the entire conference. So, no worries there. But there are definitely concerns on the defensive line. It was a, a, a unit that really struggled last year. You're hoping to see some vast improvement there. Uh, you've still got a lot of guys coming back. You you do have some new faces, but, I mean, when you, when you look at it, I mean, you've got seven returning guys on the defense. And they're names that you're familiar with. They're names that have not really stepped up um, over the last year or so. But you're really hoping for the improvement there. And uh, it's – it's going to be guys that have to make a name for themselves. You you don't you don't have a Derek Brown there. You don't have a Marlon Davidson. You don't have 
Uh, you don't have a Carl Lawson. You don't have these guys that are like big-time names that all the pro scouts are salivating over, and, and it's like, oh, my gosh, this dude is going to be incredible. It's kind of a lot of – I don't want to call them no-name guys, but it's it's guys that are they're trying to make that name for themselves. Right, it's a non-traditional path for them sure, to be very top defensive ends. In absolutely, the yeah. absolutely. So, yeah, there are going to be questions there. But you just – you have to trust that this new staff knows what they're doing with them. And, and I mean, especially from the staff that was here previously, you're, you're really hoping that there's going to be some improvement there. And, and I think there will be because, I mean, they, they just – they were not – for the defensive front – defensive line especially, for what we were used to seeing under Kevin Steele uh, was – I mean, that you just couldn't ask for any better. And, I mean, you had a Kevin Steele type of defense that was – really saving you from a lot of games when you had offenses that just couldn't seem to get anything going. Your defense at least held you in there. So you're really hoping that defense can get back to that level again. And we'll see. But that's question marks there. And then linebacker, it's kind of the same thing. And obviously you've got a couple injuries that are holding some guys back. But, I mean, you feel you feel okay. You feel better at linebacker than you do at defensive line, I think. Um, I feel like you feel a little bit better with some of the guys there, but still question marks there. So by my count, you this uh, this defense last year had 22 sacks, 34 tackles for a loss. Right. Okay, I was doing rough math while you were speaking. That's why I was being disrespectful and looked like my noggin was too <laughs> um, Of the 22 sacks, only four of them returned. Okay, so you lost 18 of the 22 sacks. And of the 34 tackles for a loss by my count, you return half. So you lost half your TFLs. You lost 18 of your 22 sacks. Again, mainly those guys, Owen Papo, Derek Hall, Colby Wooden, and a little Ecu Leota in there. You lost all your productivity, essentially, from a group that was already not rated incredibly high uh, high to begin with. Now, the pass rush element was rated higher than just just it in general. So and, and and those were the numbers I'm speaking of. But again, those were some of the key guys in a defense that already did not stop the run whatsoever. It sure. was one oh whatever it was, one oh four, one oh six uh and and yards per attempt allowed. Um, and so in 22 sacks in 12 games still feels a little low, too. I mean, that's just under two sacks a game as a team. That's not dominant by any stretch of the imagination. So that was already a below-average kind of grouping, at least certainly by Auburn standards, of what they had produced the previous six, seven, eight years, and, and really most of Auburn's defenses in the 21st century, I, I think, save for the Chiswick defenses. Well, well, I'm sorry to interrupt you. 395 yards per game and 29.5 points per game. Right. and, and I mean, the, Auburn – Well, not, and of you, the SEAL defenses, it's not even close. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. And that was last year. Right. That That's like – yeah. Right, I mean, exactly. When you think about yeah. the Kevin Steele defenses, that's one of those that jumps out at you. You're like – Oh my gosh, what happened? You yeah, know, Auburn had some teams below twenty points oh, yeah. defensively. Yeah, no, absolutely. I was just even targeting I was just targeting that one unit oh, okay, uh, comparing yeah. numbers. But uh but as you said, and you likened it to not having Derek Brown, Marlon Davidson, I could throw in Carl Lawson, you know, et cetera, right. et cetera. Those were already not really on that team. Yep. And you lost the guys that were still kind of holding the banner for that team. So that's and we've not spent a lot of time, and I'm not trying to sound the alarms, but it's like well, if you think they're going to be a top 30 or 40 offense, then, well, this is going to be a hell of a year. Yeah, but 
it's not going to be the top 20 defense that Kevin Steele produced the majority of the time he was here. And look, you hire guys you think are going to be good. I'm not telling you that Ron Roberts is going to be awful and that <laughs> there will be no improvement and that sort of thing. But what I'm saying is it's not just a hop, skip, and a jump to an elite defense. It's actually a good bit of work that right. needs to be done. And it was kind of covered up because you mentioned allowing nearly 30 points a game. Auburn only scored 25 points a game. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's also for, not good. That's a recipe for five and seven. Exactly right. <laughs> uh, and so it's, it's, it's not hard to figure out why that happened. Uh, but so their offense needs to improve, and we have a tendency to focus on offense. I love offense. The game is offense. I mean, sure. you know, it, it's that way. That's but, what makes the highlights. But if we go through the season here and say, oh, Auburn actually scored a few touchdowns in Georgia at home, or oh, Auburn put 34 on Ole Miss, or, you know, 31 in Fayetteville, like those things will not shock me. That still does not mean I think necessarily they won those games. Like they very well could lose a a thirty five to thirty four type of game in Ole Miss. They very easily could actually score a couple touchdowns on Georgia, who is a great defense. I get it, all that. They might have a couple at home and still lose because they didn't stop the run whatsoever. And, and and I mean, there's a lot of ways to lose to Georgia. That's not the perfect example. But you go into LSU, score a few touchdowns, feel good about it, and then Daniels threw for three hundred fifty yards on you, or just just something something like that. Now the DBs, I think, are going to be better. Uh, I think that Keontae Scott's really good. I think that Nehemiah Pritchett, DJ James are good. Uh, I, I think that you have an opportunity to be really good in back end. But again, I can't stress to you enough that that big, uh, back end will look less good if they're having to run around defending for five to seven seconds. Yeah. So it, it's not even like I can say, well, well, Auburn's got it on lockdown. They're going to be awesome. There's no chance anyone's passing them. I can't even guarantee you that because – Good quarterbacks at the college or pro level will find people if they have all day to do it, you know. And, and so at some point, or you'll be desperate, you'll be sending more more pass rushers, you'll be blitzing, and yeah. then people will be on one on ones. And yeah. it, sometimes they will lose those. Sometimes they'll look great, and then sometimes a future first round pick wide receiver will beat them from time to time because right. that's what first round wide receivers can do. So. It's not enough, in my opinion, to just be good in the secondary and be like, yeah, we'll figure it out. No, I think it's actually the opposite. Right. I would rather be really good up front and try to figure out the back end, yeah. even in this pass-heavy day and age, because the having a great front seven affects both run and pass. Sure. You can stymie the middle, put pressure on the passer, prevent the passer from becoming a runner, which just happens more and more, sack, make negative plays. You can do all these things with that. However, with the secondary, the secondary really doesn't have a whole lot to do with the rush game. Like, like you can blitz a safety, great, okay. Someone like a Daniel Thomas could have made a tackle at the line of scrimmage. Okay, cool. You know, Jeremiah Denson, whatever. Um, and there's safeties that can make their hay as downhill safeties. But by and large part, your secondary is really good. That doesn't have a hill of beans difference on um, the rush game. So that's why I think that it is, I'm more concerned about it, maybe the average person, why I'm like sounding a, a flashing alarm. Like this could be the difference in a good season, a season that underwhelmed, right. because that to me was already a weak point last year. And there's absolutely zero reason other than just new, new people that are different, but not necessarily as highly touted. There's no reason to think that that's going to make a jump this year other than just everything being new and shiny and different and, and all that sort of thing. But it's not like they went and got these five-star players that have been highly touted since high school and, and all that to fill in there. 
And look, I, I have every reason to believe. I trust them. I think McLeod will be productive. I told you about his very best game at Appalachian State was against Texas A&M. That will be re- very relevant to Auburn's first SEC game. Like I, I believe some people will produce at some point. I'm just not sure that it's a level to say, all right, they are now a an excellent defense, and they're not going to be the reason that they lose any games. I think it very much could build, fall on them from time to time this year. Yeah, Um well, you know, and when you're looking at that defensive line, it's the same thing on offense with the offensive line. It's the – everything really starts here in the trenches, and that depending on what side it is that you're talking about because a bad offensive line is going to derail your offense. It doesn't matter how good the rest of your skill players are. If you have a bad offensive line, it's going to derail that. On defense, you can have some great guys that cover those skill guys. You can have a great secondary, and your linebackers can can move side to side and do what they need to do. But if you're losing the battle up front, that's going to, like you said, that will derail everything. I do think that there is that they can improve, though. I think the guys that they have back and, and the guys they're bringing in, I think can improve that. Um, well, Ole Miss – Ole Miss ran over all over Auburn last year to the tune of what that three almost was it almost four hundred yards rushing? I mean it was something stupid. Uh give me one second to affirm it. I mean, yes, I do recall a lot of rush yards of forty eight. Three hundred and forty two yards. Yep. Oh, I'm sorry, yep. Nope. What'd you say? Three forty two? I've got on here, if I've got this right, four hundred and forty eight yards allowed. Rushing. I'm going to double check that. I'm going to. Uh, I'm going to 100 double check it. I think that was rushing yards. I will double check. Please continue though while I do investigative. It, it, 448. Yeah, 448. 448 rushing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're going to lose like every time when yeah. that happens, like every single time. So, I. Yeah, yeah you gave up 48 points in that game. You yeah, gave, oh, gave yeah, up, up 448 but... and 48 points. That's. That's the type of stuff that is you can't have if you want if you want to improve from five and seven. I was just going through here and looking. Uh, at, you know, forty one points you gave up forty one to Penn State. Uh, you gave up forty two to Georgia, forty eight to Ole Miss, forty one to Arkansas, thirty nine to Mississippi State. Yeah, and then another forty nine to Alabama. You're you're not you're not going to win a lot of games. If and, you're but doing it's weird, that. Tom. I mean, you you I'm. Granted, we're not on the show every single day in the fall. I just don't recall focusing on the defense that much last year. Do you? No, because like, – yeah. We talked about it some, but, I mean, clearly you're not winning that way if you give up 40 yeah. points like that every game. Yeah. And all the games that matter. Um, well, I just recall just saying, like, hey, Brian Harsons probably should be done here. That's, it was, <laughs> That's all I recall I, saying. I, honestly, I mean, it was – everybody, everybody gave up after the Missouri game, which Auburn – they yeah, still won, yeah, <laughs> like with a with a lowercase w. Yeah, it was like, it was yeah. Like, that was w. like the most lowercase w that you could ever imagine. Um, yeah. I, I mean, goodness gracious, they if the if the if their all American kicker hits a field goal That's or like twenty three yards for twenty three yeah. yards, or if the guy does, does not the drop the ball as he's walking into the end zone, Auburn would have lost one, two, three, four, five, six. Seven in a row, there would have been a seven-game – so you win your first two, Mercer, San Jose State, and then you would have lost your next seven. And then you eked that one out against Texas A&M with Cadillac running right. the show in a yep. packed stadium and all the excitement and everything. You know, everybody got to remember you only won that one 13-10. Yeah. I, I hate to say only won that one 13-10. That was, 
that may have been one of the biggest victories in Auburn history <laughs> just because of the crap show that was going yeah. on and the feeling of excitement that built back up there. But it's like it was 13 to 10. Yeah. And the scheme of things, you could have been 3 and 9 last year. You really could have. Been. <laughs> very, I mean, very easily been 3 and 9 last year. Um, <clears throat> so. That's why I feel like there's there's going to be improvement because I mean last year was just awful. I mean that was that was Gene Chizik ish awful yeah. post twenty ten. Um, so I, I think there's room for improve. I I shouldn't say there's there's definitely room for improvement after five and seven and giving up over forty points in however many games we mentioned. Um, but I but I think that defense is going to improve. I think Ron Roberts is going to improve it. I'm not expecting a Kevin Steele type defense. Uh, I, I'm just not, but I am expecting better. I, right. I, I don't think that this is a defensive line that's going to give up a 400 and something yard rushing game to somebody. I think they're better than that. Um, you've got guys coming back. You've got a new system. I think there's also you. You just can't leave out just kind of the boost of confidence that that happened at the end of that season. And with Cadillac and and just the the general feel good about things because as much as the fans gave up on that team after Missouri, you don't want to really think about it. But you know, there's players that I don't want to say give up because it never looked like they gave up, no. but it just did lose it, an edge. It lost an edge and I mean what I mean once you start losing it just it starts building on you and you know it just it you start pointing fingers, you know. That it happens everywhere. You can sit there and say it doesn't, but when you when you're losing a lot of games, people are going to start pointing fingers and things like that. That's nature, that's just human that's human nature. That's what happens. So I I think that if this team has they've already gotten some positive momentum going their way, then you know you start that season off if you start that strong, uh, you know hopefully that momentum will build and and you won't have just the epic meltdown disaster defensive performances that you saw at times last year. Only got another minute or so left in this hour. The last thing I want to mention on our Auburn preview right here is the fact that games four through seven decide what this team is. That's the stretch. You are at A&M, you host Georgia by week. At LSU, host Ole Miss. If you take teams at face value there, and maybe A&M ends up being a bad team, I don't know, but at face value of what they're projected to do this year, talent-wise, that's four of the five best teams on your schedule in a row. Now, again, you get that by week, but – Mississippi ranked in the top 25. LSU obviously going to compete in the co- for the conference title, going to be a top 10 team preseason, or they are a top 10 preseason team. Georgia preseason number one. A&M I think did just get in the ranking. So that's four top 25 teams. I think A&M's in the top 25. Yeah, they're right beside Ole Miss. Yeah. Four top 25 teams in five weeks. That's the season right there. Yeah. If, if you want to know what Auburn's ceiling is, what their floor is, maybe not four, but what their ceiling is, if it's going to be a good year, okay year, like that's where it's determined. Because if they somehow get out of that two and two, then they're going to win that eight or nine number. If they if they go on four, well, then obviously everything's on the table. I mean, still got an Iron Bowl, still got to figure out at Arkansas and that sort of thing. Uh, can't lose them all there if you want to have a, a decent right. year. 
Uh, but that stretch, that four-game stretch, September 23rd through October 21st, that is a huge four-game stretch for Auburn this year. We are out of time in hour number two. Coming up, though, in hour number three, still a lot for you. Sports Call 5 at 5. We're going to start getting into a Big 12 conference preview when we come back. And then a little bit later, best and worst of the weekend. You're listening to the Monday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Hours of sports call are finished. Don't touch that radio dial. We've got one more hour to go. Whether you're leaving work, cruising around town, or listening on demand, we've still got some fun left for you. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show has been on the air since 1995 and is ready for 60 more minutes of fun. Now, let's get this hour of Sports Call started. Third and final hour of Sports Call starting right now, Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm and the Tiger Communications app. Ryan LaVoy and Tom Peavy with you here this afternoon, just wrapped up. A preview of Auburn for 2023. And with that, we have successfully previewed all 14 SEC teams for the 2023 season. Yes, we even spent live radio minutes on Vanderbilt. They were very brief. It's probably in totality about 10 minutes. As brief as their stadium is at the moment. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Still distinct lack of end zone seating and uh, construction still going on. But uh, if you missed our Auburn preview... The Sports Call podcast is brought to you by Coca-Cola. If you ever miss Sports Call Live or if you want to hear something again, make sure you go back and listen to our show on demand wherever you get your podcast and join Ice Cold Coca-Cola to go along with the hot sports talk. Coca-Cola tastes the feeling. Of course, we preview Auburn in, in various ways every day, but just in the format that we had been doing it there with the other SEC schools. As we continue on here in the 5 o'clock hour, it's time for the Sports Call 5 at 5, and it is presented by Southeastern Land Group. John Harden and Brian Watts are your local land advisors with Southeastern Land Group. Land is always a sound financial investment, but it's also an investment in time with your family and friends, and Brian and John can help you find the perfect property for you. If you are looking to sell your land and get maximum exposure to potential buyers, your friends at Southeastern Land Group can also help you with that too. Call John Harden at 334-524-2756 or call Brian Watts at 334-707-4273 or find them at selandgroup.com. So as mentioned, we're getting into conference previews now of the Power 5 conferences, starting with the Big 12 today. We will culminate with the SEC on Friday. Uh, And so uh, starting with the Big 12 today, and that has to do with our sports call five at five today, it's five storylines in the Big 12. Number one. We start off with, is Texas back? Question mark. It's always the fun to do question about the Longhorns is the jokes that fly. Is Texas back? 
Where are they going? Is it this year? Is it next year? That's going to be big as the Longhorns are picked by many to win the Big 12. They are highly ranked in the AP Top 25 to start the year. They obviously have the marquee game with Alabama. And also, well, the last year in the Big 12 for Texas, which leads us to number two. Number two. Is Oklahoma really down? Worst year in more than 20 years last year for the Sooners under first-year head coach Brent Minimals after leaving Clemson, who he was the coordinator of the defense for for quite some time. So is Oklahoma going to have back-to-back poor performances? Are they actually in trouble? Is Venables not cut out for this? It's going to be a big question this year. Number three. It's the last bedlam, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, which I find to be a top-ten rivalry or so in the sport of college football. It's not going to be played anymore after this year. It's the sign of the times, another rivalry biting the dust. It's sad. I think it should be played every year. I wish Oklahoma State would grow up and stop blaming Oklahoma for the fact that both teams have to mutually agree to schedule, and Oklahoma would still do that with you. You just would keep your boots on and uh, actually get to working out the details for a future contract, but nope. Uh, looks like Bedlam's coming to an end, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. That's going to be a sad one to see go. It's always chaotic, and I'm sure Oklahoma State's going to want some blood this year in that last bedlam for the foreseeable future. Number four. The newbies to the Big 12 and to the Power Five. UCF, Cincinnati, BYU, and Houston. How are their, How will their maiden voyage go in the Big 12? Also, how will it go with the fact that they are sharing it with Texas and Oklahoma, which they will not be sharing it with in year two and so on and so forth, although they will be sharing it with several Pac-12 schools, the ever-changing Big 12. But the new arrivals, particularly of these four, because when the Pac-12 schools come, okay, they were at least in a power conference. Colorado literally was in this conference 15 years ago. That's not going to be as compelling, in my opinion, just from the standpoint of I think they'll stack up okay. I don't think there's as many unknowns. Still be intriguing, still be entertaining, just not in the way which I don't know if this physicality will be too much for them. Look, Big 12 is not the most physical conference. Okay, I get it. But since Central Florida, Cincinnati, Houston coming from the AAC, BYU from the Independence, we'll see how those stack up this year. Number five. And number five of the Sports Call, Five at Five, presented by Southeastern Land Group. Is Kansas actually decent? Remember, Lance Leopold had them to a pretty decent team last year. They did kind of have a disappointing end to the year, but they jumped out to a really big start last year. They ultimately finished 6-7 and seven with a very fascinating bowl loss to Arkansas in the Liberty Bowl uh, there in Memphis, which was a really good bowl of bowl season. We mentioned that a couple times in the offseason. But is Kansas actually on to something in the sport of football, or will Bill Self have – Many more non-conference wins than Kansas football has, period, wins. We'll see. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so those are our five storylines brought to you by Southeastern Land Group of the Big 12. What about Texas? Is Oklahoma down? The last of Bedlam? The newbies joining the league? And Kansas, can they actually have another respectable uh, squad this year? So, Tom, we open up. Some of those questions to you, I mean, look, Texas, Oklahoma is still going to be projected at the top or towards the top of this conference last year for them, first year for these new teams. How do you kind of see the Big 12 playing out? What are some of the storylines in your opinion? Uh, well, I mean, you have to start with Texas because, like you said, is Texas back? And, I mean, pretty much 
I shouldn't say everybody, but most folks are picking Texas at the top. Um, you just you have to think of you know the guys that are coming back there. Um, they're pretty set at quarterback, and and if uh, uh, I mean Quinn Ewers is going to be the quarterback, but you still have Arch Manning sitting there behind him. The, obviously, the very highly touted Manning that even some Texas fans are still wanting to start. But I mean, it's a good problem to have whenever you have a guy like Quinn Ewers in front of you. <clears throat> they you know they. Uh, Xavier Worthy is, is a guy at, uh, at wide receiver that's going to give a lot of people uh, problems. Uh, Jatavion Sanders, uh, tight end, is going to give people problems. So they're, they're going to be good. Um, now, are they back as, on a national picture? Don't know. But in the Big 12, you have to think they're – I don't want to say easily the favorite, but you have to think they're the favorite in the Big 12. I just – I don't know that they're going to nationally compete for the – for uh, a title. Uh, when you start going from that, it's kind of a crapshoot. I mean, Oklahoma, or it was last year an anomaly, or is that going to become the norm until they find a different coach? I mean, it, you just don't know. I mean, Dylan Gabriel is still their quarterback, and most people have him as their as first team Big Twelve. But I mean, Dylan Gabriel can't do it all on his own. And I, I mean, last year was shocking. How bad? Oh yeah, again, I hadn't seen it in in the 21st century. Hadn't seen them that bad. Yeah, literally have to go to the 1990s last time they had a record. Six and six and seven for the Sooners last year. Um, you know, and they they're going to have to make some vast improvements there across the board. Uh, I you know I don't know. Um, there's a lot of hype on Kansas State. I'm not as familiar with Kansas State, but I mean, there's a lot of hype with Kansas State right now. Could Kansas State be that team that actually sneaks up and wins the Big Twelve? I, I could potentially see that. Um, well, they did. I mean, they did last year. Well, yeah, they, sure. they beat TCU in the in the title game sure. last year. Um, you know, they Kansas State they they've got eight returning back on offense. They they've, they've only got five back on defense. So I mean, obviously, when you only return you know five uh, starters, it, that kind of makes you wonder a little bit. But um, you know, they've still got. Plenty of firepower. A team that went ten and four last year, still plenty of power there. Uh, you look at their schedule. I mean, they should start four and zero. They they start off with uh, Southeastern Missouri, then they got Troy. They're at Missouri, which everybody you know Missouri is not really supposed to be very good in the SEC this year. And then they get the fighting Gus Malzons of Central Florida. I, you know, I don't think Central Florida is going to be very good. I mean, they'll be okay, but. I think Kansas State will be better than them, and they and Kansas State gets them at home. K State should start four and zero. We'll see what happens after that uh, at Oklahoma State and at Texas Tech. We'll see, but uh, you know Kansas State is going to be another good team this year. TCU, um, I, I think they're going to drop off. Just oh yeah, they, I agree. They, they, they lost yeah. they lost so much off everything. Of that team. Yeah, I mean everything. No, I mean literally everything. everything. They three, only three, have three, three, three yeah. starters back, yeah. So that's going to be a problem for them. They do got seven back on defense, but I mean, you you lose all of your your top quality guys. So and that's what made them good. I mean, they averaged about forty points a game last right. year. Their defense was nothing special. They gave up twenty nine or thirty points a game sure. last year, but they lost their top three rushers. They lost Max Duggan, their passer, obviously. Yep. They lost their top three receivers, including Quentin Johnson. Like like nothing, the, not zero skill position. Why there, there's right. of a relevant team, the, the, it does not get much more barren than that. I, yeah. I, I 
this is it going to be like, is Sonny Dykes actually like an awesome coach or not? That's the only way they're going to be and I like a nine or ten win. And, and I don't think he is. I mean, Sonny Dykes is a Might great fine, coach. Yeah. Sonny Dykes is a great yeah. coach. Don't get me wrong. I but I, I agree. I think I think a thirteen and two record was an anomaly because it, that was that was one of those typical lightning in a bottle type things. Yes. Like we saw a Gene Chizik pull off. We we saw a Ed Orgeron pull off. We've seen some of these guys that are you know just find the right mix at the right time for that one year, and then they start sliding. And that's where I think TCU is going to start that slide. I, that's what I think. I, I Sonny think so Dyke, too. Sonny Dykes may end up being an amazing coach. Sure. If he pulls something out of his hat with what he's got this year, then <laughs> then bravo to you, Sonny Dykes. But, but see, here's what I go through when I'm thinking of TCU, is that last year they won seven one-possession games. Right. Seven. And then they had two more that were 10-point wins. So I, I don't recall the exact semantics of those. But, again, those were not exactly blowouts at 10 points. So they had nine games 10 points or closer. And then you start to think about the difference in those games. is usually like Max Duggan's great quarterback play, great wide receiver talent, whatever. And knowing that most of those games were outscoring teams. I mean, heck, they did put 51 on Michigan. Like, that's no small thing. Like, it's yeah. they earned their right to get their butt whooped by Georgia. <clears throat> I mean, they earned the right to get there, obviously. They won a big game. But the, I just think that they're – I'll be honest, if they did more than 7-5 and five this year, I think that that should be a big win for TCU. Because you look at their history before that, because the last Gary Patterson years were not going well, hence that's why they ended. I mean, he did not – he was not old enough to have to retire or anything like that. They just were not going well. They had went five and seven, six and four, five and seven, seven and six in the previous few years before that. So to me, they're a seven win program. This is still one last year of the Big Twelve, feeling like the Big Twelve minus four or uh, add the the newbies. But still, Oklahoma and Texas are in this league. TCU still plays them both. TCU's hosting Texas. They're at Oklahoma at the end of the year. Yes, they do get a couple of the newbies and. Uh, in Houston and, and BYU, I don't think BYU's awful. You know, and like at Houston's not necessarily the easiest thing in the world. I don't think. Again, I think the Big Twelve added the right four teams. I, Cincinnati's going to take a big hit without Luke Fickle. I I, I don't know about Cincinnati. Kalani right. Sataki's though done good job at BYU. They're going to be fine. Houston. I don't know if Holgerson really fits Houston. To be honest with you, it doesn't feel like he's fitting Houston very well. But he has coached in this league before <laughs> at West Virginia, so he knows what he's getting into. And then with UCF, I think of the new four, uh, the new four teams, I think UCF's the best one. I think that they've got a good nucleus of returning players. They've got some really fun skill position players. I admittedly have very little confidence they're going to hold up well at the lines of scrimmage. I know that will shock people that watched Gus Malzahn for, for, uh, for years here. But I do think skill position-wise they're there. And if you want to take the bet that the Big 12 is not going to have a bunch of teams that can overwhelm people up front, then UCF's actually going to be okay this year. They're not going to be bad. Um, but I, I think that for TCU's point of view, they're a middle-pack conference team this year, period. I, I think they sink back into the middle. Because look at some of the teams that you just kind of would probably write off as like way behind them. Like, okay, someone like, I don't know, God bless you, Tom Peavy. Like I said, started the show off with it, and let's end the show. Yeah, with some absolutely. Uh, so Baylor, okay, they're they're a team that made a Big Twelve title game. 
You sure and, that TCU can beat Baylor this year? Well, and and so then I was going to talk about Baylor because okay, that's kind of well, Baylor yeah. Baylor is kind of your dark horse team. Uh huh. They they're kind of picked by most folks in that five to six of the Big Twelve, but uh, they they've got seven back on offense, five back on defense. They started their season last year off really hot. They they just they cooled off at the end, but I mean you look at their schedule, uh, it, it's very possible. If they can be, beat Texas, but it, let's just even say they lose to Texas. I mean, you're looking at them just having one loss when you get to the end of October. Uh, and then how, how did they finish their season off? So, uh, you know, Baylor is that team that can, I think, can make some noise. Um, a, a team that a lot of people aren't really hyping up all that great. But, I mean, when, you, when you've got seven back on offense, five back on defense – uh, you've got skill position guys back. And I like Aranda you know, enough. And, and Aranda, and, and especially defensively. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I think Dave Aranda's a good coach. And I think he's got some pieces in place there that, that can give some people some problems. So, yeah, don't sleep on Baylor. I, I think Baylor's going to be a lot better than some people are thinking. And you see, what I, this might be too much. This is going to sound like. Basically what I, okay, basically what it is is I had some TCU stock last year. It was fun, was enjoying it. Um, beat Michigan in the playoff. Awesome. We got somebody that you just would not have put in a playoff in the national title game. Right. This is cool. And then I'll admit it a little bit. They hurt my feelings. Because I did expect them to lose to Georgia. Don't get me wrong. And I did expect Georgia to win by, I don't know, three touchdowns, something like that. Something seemingly mundane at the time. Yeah. Well, when you put on the worst performance and are victim of the biggest beatdown that I've ever seen for a national championship, I just kind of want to go 180 on you. And I kind of <laughs> want you to not show up there for quite some time. Um, because even, even – I'll tell you this. Pre-Sunny Dykes, this is year two. That's why I'm saying I have no idea what Sunny Dykes actually is. Lightning in a bottle one year, great. Like, every possibility is here. Ed Orgeron's a national champion. You know, like, like let that sink in. Ed Orgeron is a national champion. Wow. Gene Chizik is, and, as a head coach, a national champion. Yeah. One amazing year does not all of a sudden mean for the rest of time, you know what? Now, this guy's going to have a good team. This guy can coach. Eh. You can do it great one time because of certain players and certain outcomes. It doesn't qualify you for life for being a great coach. So I, I don't know with Sonny Dykes. I obviously have to admit that's a hell of a start. And it looks pretty good at first, but no idea. Not going to say yet that Sonny Dykes is just going to spit out nine and ten win teams every year at TCU. We don't know that yet. He very well may. Too early to tell. Still after one great year. And so what if it goes the other way? Because, again, I just told you about TCU racking up five and six and seven win seasons. So what if it just goes all the other way? And those seven one possession games that they went seven and oh in, what if they're two and five this year? Automatically down to five losses. Forgetting the fact that they very well may be beat by two touchdowns, three touchdowns to Texas, or someone like Oklahoma at the end of the year could beat them by 10, 13 points. Like, you could still have four or five close losses and have a couple pummeling. So, TCU, I'm thinking six or seven wins this year. I'm going way low on them. Now, Kansas yeah. State, your other purple, I do like Kansas State. I think that it's pretty clear that Chris Kleiman has brought together the culture there coming from North Coast State. This is year five for him now. 
so we can uh, uh, you know kind of assess what's going on. Eight and five, four and six during the COVID year is always hard to quantify, but eight and five again, then ten and four with a conference tie last year. Yes, did not go well against Alabama. Lost by four scores, better than losing by eight scores. <laughs> so not 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 the abject failure that um, TCU went through there against their SEC opponent, but. I, I think Kansas State, I, I personally am concerned for Oklahoma. I think Kansas State plays Texas in the conference title game. That's right. that's my that's my pick there. Um, Kansas State, as far as their schedule, look, they do play Texas. So, I mean, you're going to figure it out a little bit there. I just don't know if I love Oklahoma. I don't know if I trust Venables. How could I after the – I mean, in theory, he should have been able to walk in there. I mean, it's Oklahoma. And Lincoln Riley and Bob Stoops, Stoops, 9, 10, 11 years, every single year for 20 to 25 years. He should be he should have been able to walk in there and at least gotten 8 and 4, 9 and 3. Like, no. the, like the, that shouldn't have even been a question. I, if we were Sports Call Oklahoma, I think that we would have just had eight calls a day that's just like, can we fire him after one year? Because I just don't see how Oklahoma goes 6 and 6, well, technically 6 and 7 at all. Especially when the Big 12's got a couple of good teams, but like Texas isn't overwhelming. We keep talking about them not being back yet, and you're letting teams <laughs> again. I know LSU's purple. Someone's like, "What about LSU?" But you're letting a bunch of purple teams in the Big 12 beat you. Right. I know LSU and the SEC is in purple. Great, awesome, great. But you're letting TCU and Kansas State run all over you. And some of the ways that they lost games last year, I mean, they lost like. <sighs> They lost forty nine nothing to Texas. Yeah, like really, you didn't score on your arch rival in your Oklahoma, and the year before you were eleven and two yeah. with Lincoln Riley. Like anyway, so I don't I don't trust Oklahoma either. Now schedule wise for them, what do you got? Because this makes sense. They do have a lighter schedule this year. I'll give them that because their Big Twelve schedule. They start at Cincinnati. Who I don't think is going to be very good. No. Host Iowa State. I do like Matt Campbell, but it's just there's challenges there sure. with Iowa State. It's still Iowa State, right? Then Texas, okay, big one. All yeah. right, Red River rivalry. Bye. Then UCF at home. Look, Dylan Gabriel Bowl there. Maybe UCF wants to get Dylan Gabriel. I don't know, but you're at home at Kansas. Not overly intimidating. Okay. And then you are at Oklahoma State. That's Bedlam. I would almost, if Oklahoma State's mildly confident, I would bet Oklahoma State in that game. I don't care. Upset. As long as Oklahoma State is just not like three and five. Right. But they're going to want that bad. So that's going to be tough for Oklahoma. Host West Virginia at BYU. BYU's going to end. And then TCU at the end. So I will give you that based off the schedule, Oklahoma should be in that conference title game. I will give you that. Because that is one of the easiest Big 12 schedules I could have cooked up for you. Yeah. You were playing three of the four new teams. You are not playing Kansas State. Uh, you're not playing Baylor. That's pretty damn doable. I will admit that. But I do think they're going to lose to Texas. I think they're going to lose Bedlam. And I, I'll give you – find one more shocker. Because, again, I think it was pretty shocking to lose to TCU by 31 points. And to be fair, they lost to Texas Tech in West Virginia last year. And I know they got West Virginia on the schedule again this year. So there might be a road game in there like an at BYU that they just mess up on. I sure. don't know. But I am not confident enough in the just taking them for who they are right? Uh, and, and, and ignoring the schedule. I'm not confident enough in them. Although, again, 
if you want to argue that's just so easy, there's no way they couldn't. I won't. I won't fight. I'll understand that that line of thinking there. Uh, any other things here? Uh, we want to get to real yeah, quick. I, I mean, one other team that you have to point out that could potentially be a dark horse is Texas Tech. Okay. Um, it, it's a team. It's you know again, kind of most people are picking, you know, middle of the pack, just slightly down from the top of the league. But if you go through and you look, eleven returning on offense, six returning on defense. So you're returning almost your entire team. They went eight and five last year. I get that. But if you go through and look at what happened on their schedule, some of their lo- some of their losses were really close. They put up a lot of numbers. Um, there was the one anomaly game that I saw in here, and that was against Baylor that they lost forty five to seventeen. Everything else was relatively decent. But then they won their last three. They beat Kansas, who was on a tear at one point of the season. They beat them. Uh, they beat them forty three to twenty eight. So you did great there. Uh, you went at Iowa State. You won a, a squeaker, uh, fourteen to ten. You beat a bad Oklahoma team, uh, but you put fifty-one points, right? On, fifty-one to forty-eight. But then you turn around in a bowl game and you beat Ole Miss, forty-two to twenty-five. Yeah, that was something. I was not seeing that at all. Right. Yeah. So uh, you know, this is a team that uh, that they've they've won four in a row. They've got pretty much everybody back. I'm not really sold on Joey McGuire. It's just his second season. Uh, you know that you know can he actually get things done there at Texas Tech? But I mean, when you think about a team that has won four in a row, they've shown that they can beat a top caliber SEC team in Ole Miss in a bowl game. Now, Ole Miss was in their little throes of what all was going on. Maybe that had something to do with it. I don't know. But anytime you have a team that bring, first of all, anytime you have a team that brings back almost everybody, yeah. You have to expect some improvement there, and then when you just look at even what they did last year with with that, even though they went eight and five, some of those losses, other than that one anomaly loss, were they were right there within striking distance. I mean, they they were losing by like ten points or so. I mean, don't sleep on sure. I, it's like Texas Tech and Baylor. Yep, are are the two that they they can do some damage. You've got your guys at the top that you think are going to be at the top, but if you really have to look at a dark horse. Baylor and Texas Tech are the are the ones that you really have to look at. After that, I think it's just kind of a crapshoot. Once you get to the bottom of that league, uh, you know, is is Kansas going to be able to replicate what they did last year and keep that going? I I just don't know. Sure. Um, I think we all kind of hope it can happen. It was but, cute. Yeah. I mean, they got college game day, and I mean, right. it was all, you just and then you goodness, you saw the. Uh, they had that big season, and now they're going to expand their stadium. And yeah. I mean, it's going to be a beautiful yeah, thing. Yeah, good for them. Absolutely. Hey, they're, they're doing great things going on with Rock Chalk Jayhawk, and it's not basketball. Yeah. Um, good for them. I just don't know that they can keep that going. Uh, but you look at the Cincinnati, it's not going to be good. You don't think Houston's going to be good. West Virginia, meh. BYU, meh. Um, I, I mean, can Gus Malzahn and UCF make some noise? I don't know. I mean, meh. It's like talking about an ax. You're like, yeah. Yeah, it's like, whatever. Uh, Oklahoma State, meh. I mean, maybe. They've lost so much. Yeah. I don't, they, lost, they didn't have a good year last year after they had a really good year the year before. Right. I, I, I think Gundy's in this transitioning cycle where he's trying to rebuild the roster and he needs another year or two. Uh, and if it goes one way, it might end up to the kind of the end of the road there for him. Um I know that's kind of a hot take. I don't want to brush oh, that under the rug, no, no, no. but 
But uh, you know, they're still they're trying to transition into another another group of guys to build back up. If you look at Oklahoma State, they usually take two, three years to build back up, then they have a big team, then they take a couple years to build right. back up. They kind of do it traditionally still where you guys stay two, three, four years and they have a pretty productive team at the end of that, but then they have to rebuild it. Right. I the my so here's here's my final big takeaway of the Big Twelve. I, I think there's uh six teams. Yeah, I think there's six teams that could really vie for it. But if you really then kind of dig deeper, you you, you kind of you got a lot of questions about Oklahoma and, and Brent Venables. You know, uh, yeah, their schedule sets up pretty nice for them. But you don't know. You think TCU TCU would be part of that six, but we really think that they're probably going to fall off hard. Yeah. So then you bump it to five. You know, is Texas that much better than Kansas State. Are they that much better than Baylor? Are they that much better than Texas Tech? Because I think Texas Tech and Baylor are about dead even. They're they're kind of right there as like the two dark horses. Is Texas that much better? It's not like the SEC where it's like Georgia and maybe Alabama with some question marks. You know, this is kind of a crapshoot of of what could go on there. Um, I think Texas would definitely have to be your favorite. But it's not that big of a difference. Right. It's not that big of a difference at all between Texas and, and some of these other guys. I, 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 just like TCU won it last year. I think you could just as easily see a Baylor or a Texas Tech have a magical year. Let me give you real quick because I want to do this about every conference. I know we are vastly running over. And need to take our oh, sure. what's going to be our last break. But I do want. I got long winded. No, we all both are. Uh, we like football. It's near uh, football. Um, uh, so I got a cup. I I want to do this in each conference throughout the week couple of guys in the hot seat. I want to ask you hot seat questions because we don't talk national hot seat too often. All right, so how hot is the seat of Brent Venables in Oklahoma? Just real quick. Scorching. Scorching? Okay. I, I mean, score, they, yeah, if they need have a, like a 9 or 10 win year this oh, year. Oh, goodness think. gracious. Yeah, yeah they, they have another 6 or 7, especially coming into the SEC. They're, they're going to move on from him real quick and, and, and watch for – them to go after Mark Stoops. Okay. I, okay. I, I mean, yeah. Well, yeah. Makes sense. Stoops in Oklahoma kind of it's like – Peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. How long would it take for Mike Gundy to be on the hot seat? Would it take like two more, like five and seven, six and sixes? <clears throat> yeah, man. Is they, it one <clears throat> more? I mean, over, he's been Oklahoma State football for so long. I know. But there is semantics there. Yeah. It's not like the absolute they, well, they, you know, They thing. went 12 and 2 and 21. Right. It was awesome. Yeah. But last but, year but was. But it was 8 and 3, 8 and 5, 7 and 6. I, I mean, they love that dude so much that I, I think it's. You think he had like three straight 5 and 7. I think, like, yeah. Was, I, I okay. really think it would take something. Okay. So I think, I think his seat is warm ish. Mm hmm. Maybe, but like a but like but, a seat warmer in a car on yeah, a cold day. Yeah, like, like, he, like pretty comfortable at the end of the day. He but is not. They they love that warm. dude so much. And I mean, they've already put up with you know seasons that just weren't really all that great from him. They've they've mixed in some good ones there, but I mean, they, uh, yeah. I, I will say this: if if it was Oklahoma State moving to somewhere like the SEC, yeah. and they're really like taking a long look in the mirror at like what are we going to be going forward then sure. maybe a little bit hotter but uh right now I, I think they love that dude so much that it would almost have to be him leaving on his own unless it just really collapses all right two more quick ones neil brown and west virginia oh neil brown and west virginia I, can i go ahead and answer this for you because i it, thought this would be very quick pants on fire 
pants on, on fire, fire. fire. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I was kind of surprised he was not removed this offseason. I'll, I'll go ahead and say it. I, he, he feels like somebody that could be removed midseason. Yeah. I, I wanted, to, I, I to, wanted to look and see what their past records sure. were. I mean, it's West Virginia. I don't have that one. Well, that's fair. Yeah, back it's of my not brain. the Pat White days. I so it's it. his fifth year, fifth year with yeah. West Virginia. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Have you seen six, the four, six and seven, five and seven, five and seven? Yeah, yeah. you see, I'm kind of and surprised. That, it was that, five. Yeah, and that's a pretty proud. <laughs> that's a pretty proud program at West Virginia. But they they have the memories of Pat White, and yeah. Rich Rodriguez, and and some of those teams. I mean, they've that's a proud program and a very proud and rabid rabid fan base that that wants to win. So. Yeah, I mean, looking at that record that uh, Neil O'Neill Brown has had there at West Virginia, I would definitely have to agree that his pants are definitely on fire right now. Yeah, uh, they, they're gonna they're gonna demand more than that. They're absolutely at, they're at Penn State. Yeah, they'll start uh, out start the year, so they're gonna lose that one. They'll beat Duquesne, then Pittsburgh, Texas Tech, and TCU. If they're one and four, uh, yeah, one and four, he's fired. They'll fire him on that bye week. I'm telling you right now. Right. If if they lose all three, they may beat Pittsburgh or they may beat TCU or something. TCU's just been bad. But if they but if they at, start at TCU, right, but if they're if they're one and four to start the year, he's getting fired right there on their on bye the bye week. week that, yeah. That's my that's my take. <clears throat> yeah. And then the last it's one, very possible. Last one, actually, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna save Dana Holgerson. I'm gonna I'm gonna save. I, I, I think I think he's safe at least for. A I little think they want him to transition in the Big Twelve. Right. Um, and he still did have the 12 win year two years ago yeah. last year, which is kind of quirky bad when yeah. it could have been better. I should say bad. It was just not as good as it could have been. And there's a high probability, in my opinion, they end up around four or five wins this year, right. transition to the Big 12. So, but I, I looking at it because of the Big 12 experience, I think they'll give him at least two years right. in the Big 12. So we'll say, don't Dana Holgerson will say that the, the tush is, is a okay right now. All right. So that's a look at the Big 12. Did some hot seat things there. You do, do I, well, one more quick thing. Do you have Texas winning the league? Yes. Who do you got winning the Big 12? Big 12 championship? I, I, I'm going to go with Texas. It's, okay. the, it's the safe pick, but I just think that I, I think Texas has more of everything kind of in place to do what they need to do. Uh-huh. And, and the others are like, you know, the dark horse. Like if things work out, then they right. can do this. Sure. But I, but I, when you I mean when you're making a prediction, you just kind of got to look like Texas has what it takes to win the yeah. title. On paper, shouldn't be that close. It on paper, it shouldn't be. I'll go Texas, but, Kansas State, Big Twelve title game. Yeah, I'm going to say another stunner. I'll go Kansas State. Just give me, make me the contrarian today. There you uh, go. Uh, but I do think K- Texas K-State's will get going to be this year's TCU. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Again. Well. Not it's even all that. About not the even that. Like just the fact that K State went last year and was able to beat a really good team. Like yeah. maybe K State's not even better than Texas. They just match up well because they're right. very physical. I don't sure. know. Uh, so that's a look at the Big Twelve Conference. All week this week, we'll be previewing the five Power Five leagues. The last last year, we can say five. Shout out yeah, to the Pac-12, yeah. who we're going to review tomorrow. The conference uh, formerly known as. Yeah. Uh, but that's a look at Big 12 football for the 2023 season. We come back. We'll start to wrap up the show. I have a quick best and worst of the weekend and a nightly TV guide. You're listening to the Monday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9.
Want to know how easy it is to listen to our show? All you have to do with your Amazon smart device is say, Alexa, play Sports Call Auburn. I'm Trevon Reed, former Auburn Tiger football player and national champion. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy with you here on this Monday afternoon, starting to wrap up this Monday edition of the show, only about five minutes or so remaining. Just had a good chat about the Big 12 Conference. Man, it's going to be changed. It's already changed some with four new arrivals, but Oklahoma and Texas will depart. The Pac-12 teams will start to come in next year. Uh, It's going to be all over the place the next couple of years in that conference, but we just broke down the Big 12. If you missed any of that, go back and check it out on the Sports Call podcast presented by Coca-Cola. As mentioned, down to a few minutes left in the show. Time for a real quick best and worst. Now time for the best. And worst. No! 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 Of the weekend. Tom, I did just think of my worst of the weekend. Um, It's the worst I have almost every weekend. Oh yeah, it's the continued racing uh, in the NASCAR Cup Series of the, of the actual car and how it continues to underperform. Oh, okay. Uh, road courses they they changed it to where they don't do the uh, stage break caution because they don't want to disrupt the strategy. Because sometimes road courses have interesting strategy, but it's so damn hard to pass because of that car that. There were no passes, I think, in the top 11 for the final 15 laps of the race. Like, what in the heck of open wheels going on there? <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm sorry, but, like, I'm not one that has to have mass chaos and mass cautions, but you do need to be able to pass. And oftentimes what you'd see if someone did pass, they'd pull away. Like, right. they'd be three seconds ahead of that car two laps later. So they were a second faster but they took six or seven laps to get around that car because it's so damn hard to pass. Right. So NASCAR's got to look at that. I'm sorry, you cannot have a race car that you cannot pass in. So that's my continual, perpetual worst of the weekend is just how this new car in year two is racing in close proximity racing, road courses and short tracks in particular. Your worst of the weekend. Um, my my worst of the weekend is one that I have actually also talked about. It's actually an individual I have talked about. Okay. But, uh, Angel Hernandez is one yes. of the worst umpires that yes. has ever walked the face of the earth. Uh, and in the uh, the finale between the Braves and the Giants, he was... He you was, have an umpire scorecard in front of you? Angel Hernandez. I kept looking for it. I, now, I've got the pitch chart. I, I've got the... Um, uh, the the, uh, the chart that shows you the box and it gives you like orange dots for strikes that are called and blues right for balls that are called and I mean if you look at it there's there's several uh, there's several orange box uh, dots for strikes oh, that are called I got that are him way out of the by bunch way out of the box and a few balls that are in the box but uh, there were a couple that uh, they were actually in favor of the Braves yeah <laughs> Max Freed throwing balls that weren't even remotely close to the, st- to the strike zone. He's calling them strikes. Like, what in the world are you looking at? He was like, 93%, which is... That's terrible which, when it comes to... Right. It's a little below average. Uh, yeah, it's a little below average. Um, but I've seen him in the upper 80s before, but he still yeah. missed, yeah, 13 balls, strike yeah. calls. Yeah. 
Uh, but and, and the thing is, it's uh, they're way it, off. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like, listen, if you're missing them and they're like on the edge, like you know, if you if you look at the chart, and I mean, it's like right on the edge of the box, and it's like, mm, yeah, okay, you missed that one, but I mean, that's a tweener. Yeah. No, he's calling something. You're like. Yeah, like, almost in the other battle. Like, box. what in the world are, are you even remotely looking at to call that a strike or a ball? Uh, Angel Hernandez is terrible, and and he's he's kind of got Major League Baseball by the you know what's because uh, I think he would have been fired a long time ago if it if he didn't kind of have them. Uh, he's already tried to sue him and things like that, so I think they almost like have to keep him yeah. there. So yeah, Angel Hernandez, he's terrible. All right, best of the weekend, real quickly. My best of the weekend was went out and for the first time in like 15 months swung a golf club. Oh. Uh, and I used to play in the summer almost every week, and I was on the high school golf team. Like, I played a lot of golf. Sure. Uh, and it was satisfying to know after 15 months, yes, I would not have been shooting low 80s like I used to. Right. Wouldn't have been like 110 or anything egregious. I was hitting everything solid, only hit a few thin. Yardages felt right. No. I'm not some big driver off the tee, so I was carrying like 245 off the tee, 250. That's normal for me. I if I think I hit about 12 drives, probably about eight of them would have been the fairway. Yeah, uh, went out to that RTJ range, which is great, and everything felt respectably good. And I was like, wow, I actually did play enough golf and got good enough at golf to where it's never going to fully leave me. Because if it didn't right. leave me after 15 months, then probably not going to fully leave like that so i felt really good about it yeah. went out with a couple of friends uh brooks childress included there you go jj jackson included wow. and uh and had has a good he time gotten any there. better no he has not okay no he has not he 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 hits the ball we'll leave it at yeah. that hits the ball hmm. tom what about you best of the weekend uh it does not involve golf even though i do need to get back in the, out there and start swinging the clubs again uh i my mine was uh the the little league classic goes on it's a game that i always enjoy watching every year when the little league world series is going on there's a big stadium big earth stadium in williamsport um <clears throat> that uh a minor league team there in williamsport plays at but every year they do a major league game there uh last night it was the uh, nationals and the phillies the nationals won four to three um, it, it's just cool because I love watching these games that are in a different environment than the normal what you see every sure. day especially with major league baseball because it's the same thing over and over and over again um to see them playing in a small ballpark to see all the little league kids up in the stands uh to see you know the players when they come up to bat or whatever and it has a picture of their little league uh or their little league picture next to their adult picture it's just cool it's something neat um i know it's an awesome experience for the kids that are there to to be able to see these guys and you know, for the for the older players to be getting the little leaguer autographs and things like that. One of the batters had a bat that looked like a big number two pencil. <laughs> it, that, that stuff is just, it's so cool, and I, it's always one of my favorite things to watch. And so, I, I really enjoyed that last night. Absolutely. So that's our best and worst of the weekend. Uh, good stuff right there. Always fun to do that each and every Monday. We're down to our last minute or so of the show. Time for a real quick nightly TV guide. Our show is about to end. But we've got you covered on entertainment for the evening. Here's Sports Call's Nightly TV Guide. Sports Call's Nightly TV Guide presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer. The aforementioned, uh, not really aforementioned, but related to Little League World Series continues on tonight, 6 o'clock on ESPN2. Uh, getting down to it. I think the championships come up this coming weekend. Yeah. New York Mets, Atlanta Braves, 620 on Bally Sports South. 
Excited for another series against the Mets. Hopefully the Braves continue their good play of the last seven to ten days. Especially over New York teams. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, yeah, five and one, or no, six and one yeah. against the Mets and Yankees the last, last two series. NFL, Baltimore Ravens, Washington Commanders at 7 o'clock on ESPN. And a couple quick movie picks for you. Got Deadpool on at 640 on FXM. And on FX, you got The Proposal at 630. So some double Ryan Reynolds. Uh, action for you right there. That will do it for the show today. Tom, thank you very much for being here Absolutely. today. We'll see you again tomorrow. I'll be here. And that will do it for the show. Again, as always, we appreciate all those that tuned in and called in. For Tom Peavy, my name is Ryan LaVoy. Have a great Monday night, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow.